Hello, everyone, and welcome to the February 3rd, 2021 episode of Weekly Manga Recap. I am Nick, here alongside Chris. Yes, that is you. Mm-hmm. Yes, we've got it covered. I'm me, you're you. Mm-hmm. And... Although, there's something you're forgetting. And you are Lord Christopher Larios, mm-hmm. a.k.a. Mr. Vito in the Bank mm-hmm. of Weekly Manga Recap. Thank you. How long are you going to make me do that, Chris? You're my Paul. To... You're my Paul Heyman until I cash this in. Okay. You're raining, <laughs> defending. <laughs> you don't really defend it. You just kind of like it to keep it. In. I mean, I defended it as much that no one has stolen it from me. So That's you true. know, burglars haven't broken in and taken it from me. So in that way, I'm defending it. Coveted, in inverted commas. Uh, WMR 24-7 championship. Yes. That we lost to a squirrel, and we haven't seen it since. <laughs> it left, so... <laughs> for, as, for as long as, as well as we know, that squirrel's been raining for 760 days. Yeah. Like, uh, we could have gotten another one, but, I mean, it was the 24-7 tile, so, you know, who yeah. cares? So. <laughs> I didn't want to stop at KB Toys or Kmart to get, get a new belt. <laughs> it's just like you slapped a sticker... <laughs> I'm like a wristband is like hey, I, our belt. <laughs> I took a hardcore title and slapped a sticker on it. I slapped a sticker on a belt that already looked like shit to begin with, and I'm like, here you go. Um hey, before we get to the episodes, we never plug ourselves during the episode of sales. We wait until like the very end where everyone stops listening. So I wanted to note that I was a guest on two podcasts in this past week, and I wanted to plug yeah. those out. I was a guest on the Duckface Diaries, which is a World Trigger podcast. We discussed Volume 9 of World Trigger. You can find that on iTunes. It was a great time. Very insightful. The hosts are far more intelligent people than I am, so it's a good time. I was also on Humans Hollering at the News. You can find that over at Stitcher. Basically an hour long of us just talking about good old news stories. So go check those out if you're looking to hear more of my voice. I was busy too, apparently. Oh, yeah. What were you doing? Well, it, 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 the recording actually happened like over a month ago. But uh, Jeff, uh, our our uh, friend and occasional guest host, uh, has a podcast called Love It or Weeb It, mm-hmm. and uh, I was on as a guest to talk with he and uh, Annie. The uh, they're the two hosts of the show about a Netflix series called Great Pretender, and uh, that went up last night. And very we cool. talked for a long time about our various emotions about the series. It was a roller coaster for all of us, it seems. <laughs> so. Well, that sounds like a good one. So, yeah, go check those out, guys. In fact, you know what? I dislike myself so much that I'm just going to say, just stop listening to this podcast stop. right now and go check. Nick, we're, actually, we're just that. Nick. Just to make sure that you guys <laughs> go listen to us be clever and funny on other shows. Yeah. So. Nick, if you want to stop listening right now so you can go check out Duckface Diaries, that'd be fine, too. I'll just I'll just do it. I'll just stop the recording here so no one has any reason to stick around. Chris, I can't believe you're still under the impression that I actually listened during this podcast. Oh, shit. <laughs> times i just inadvertently just interrupt you because i've got a thought to voice and just like no just plow ahead without paying any attention to what you were gonna say in your mind right now you're playing super mario galaxy like you're playing through the game in your own mind right now and you're just going through the motions you're just like fuck it man this is what i i I created a wii in my mind just so i can play wii games all the times that I get mad at Black Clover, they're actually that's actually when I'm on that one star where you've got to jet yourself between the ones that you drink. <laughs> in order to get all the coins. It's like, why am I so angry? All right, that stupid jet star. 
Uh, all right, yeah, let's uh, let's actually talk about the the manga this week. I thought this was an interesting week. I'm gonna go we've off got, and say that we've got, uh, I guess, yeah, a good variety of, of chapters. Uh, I don't know about the full variety because you've read one series that I haven't because <laughs> Crunchyroll, yay, yeah. Uh, at least they changed their reader to not be Flash in time. <laughs> uh, but we're going to start things off with My Hero Academia, chapter 299. We are very close to 300 chapters at a point where the series is in kind of a not a lot's happening. It's, it's, it's kind of a low action phase of the story in between story arcs, it seems like. But the chapter title is Like Those Tragic Tales. And it's it's a Hawks heavy chapter uh, checking in on him after, you know, the battle and stuff via a uh, flashback to his childhood to kind of fill in some of the details and basically flesh out the stuff that Dobby had implied about, you know, where he came from after talking about how he was the son of some villain stuff. And so we see Hawks or Kago, uh, as he's called. Uh, basically being verbally abused by his father uh, out in the sticks somewhere. There's this, you know, shack that uh, Hawks lives in with his parents that looks like it's just been cobbled together. There's a lot of bits of sheet metal that make up the walls and stuff. And uh, he's being berated because he apparently snuck into town earlier that day. And so his dad's paranoid that his kid has just, you know, ratted him out to the police. And uh, so the police are going to come after him. But Hawks explains himself by saying that he, he basically his spider sense was tingling. Uh, his feathers were bothering him. And so he was like, well, I figured something was happening, but the tingling stopped. So then I turned and came home. Nobody saw me. And his dad's just like, I don't believe you. I hate you. I hate everyone. He's a very bad dad. Uh, Hawks' mom tries to defuse the situation by complaining that the TV has stopped working. If that was her, if that was her goal to defuse the situation, I don't know why she thought that would work. <laughs> She's like, "Here's a problem that's going on in the house." Like, mm. so Hawks explains, you know, that like, yeah, his dad killed someone uh, years and years ago, and his mom harbored him, and they ended up having a kid together. So his dad didn't ever really want him, um, which makes sense. So, but apparently, his because. The guy says that relying on Tomie's quirk was a mistake. So presumably, uh, I, w- I would assume that the wings thing actually comes from his dad and the kind yeah. of sense comes from his mom. Well, she has those like floating eyes, so I think she can control them. And that's what combines wings with controlling appendages, mm-hmm. basically. Or what would you call them? Organs? No, feathers aren't organs. Shit on your body. <laughs> uh, I I managed to actually read through this entire chapter without actually noticing the eyes, which is amazing on my part, I guess. But uh, yeah, I, I I don't know. I guess when I when he says like relying on her quirk was a mistake, it makes me think like, so does she have some sort of presence hiding thing? But no, she she does just a good lookout, I guess. Uh, so Hawks is kind of left to just like, you know, try and endure all of this while he's got his little Endeavor toy. Uh, but then one day, uh, Hawks' dad gets arrested and, uh, his mom is kind of at a loss of what to do. He's like, what? I mean, he's gone now. He, he just left and he got caught by Endeavor. 
And Hawks says to himself that in that moment, fantasy became reality and heroes were suddenly real to me. And I guess in his mind's eye, the little Endeavor toy just comes to life. I'm assuming this is not what really happens. But I mean, you know, in a world of superpowers that can do literally anything, it could have happened. (laughs) (laughs) So they decide that they need to leave uh, because his mom realizes that she could be charged for harboring a fugitive. uh, So they need to get out of there before they're connected to Hawks's father. But they have no idea where to go. Uh, because they've just, you know, been living on the sticks and relying on whatever money he makes through nefarious means in order to survive. So they're kind of just like on the street, uh, not knowing what to do. Uh, and Hawks is telling her, like, we should go to the police. And she says, well, we've got to get some money somehow. And she's also being kind of hard on on Hawks by being like, why were you born? Why do you have those wings? She clearly doesn't really like his dad. I was going to say, being a little hard on him is, is a, a little underselling that she questions his existence to his face. Well, we learn later that she was a lot better than this flashback makes her out to be. So, um, she that, was a little bit. Uh, yeah, it's a complicated question. It's complicated <laughs> is a good way of putting it, I guess. So... Uh, they end up getting approached by some guys in suits, the people who ended up basically putting Hawks in their super awesome program to make a, a cool superhero out of him and stuff. And they say, yeah, we'll support you and your family. Uh, and to which Tomie Hawks, mom is like, we mean my family. There's no one else here. <laughs> I've got no one else. So touche. But they say as part of the support, we'll erase any connection that you have to the name Takami. You can start over. We catch it to the present where Hawks is driving around in a car with Best Genist in Best Genist's not Batmobile. Uh, and he's not doing so well because, you know, being in the fight with all of Dobby's fire and stuff has damaged his throat. So in order to communicate, he taps stuff out on his cell phone uh, and he's got some sort of breathing apparatus uh, around his face as well. Um, and uh, Best Genist does the thing that's kind of i mean it's it's clearly just giving information to the reader because he and hawks are the only two there hawks knows what has happened he knows what has happened but at the same time all the weird stuff the best genius says it seems kind of in character for him to just say this stuff randomly so i for the longest time I thought Best Genus was just a dumb joke character that was, for some reason, they realized they didn't actually like, establish enough cool heroes. So it was like, all right, I guess he just has to be like the number three hero because we, we only made a couple of real ones and then most of the rest were jokes. Um, but in this chapter, I finally see Best Genus as this complete fucking dork. This fucking goober who is too busy fucking like going off on monologues and making shitty clothes jokes to the point where people just talk over him because they're like, I don't have time for another fucking gene pun in you right now. I'm talking about my childhood trauma. Because he's like, he's talking about stuff that they already know. And Hawks kind of yes ands him. He talks mm-hmm. about it in a way that is a little bit more natural because Genus establishes without the medical achievements of Central Hospital, you'd still be hovering between this world and the next. For instance, the procedure to induce a death-like state inspired by the Nomu, which I wasn't all too keen to receive. Even now, my body is like worn, distressed denim. 
and the Hawks is just going to like, yeah, right, fabric. So uh, sorry about that, but, you know, I figured that if we didn't go that far, then it wouldn't, nothing would work. Uh, and it did. So cool. Uh, yeah. And yeah, that that basically just kind of filling in some of the details about what they did, which I am a little bit surprised to know that the body that Hawks delivered actually was best genist because they're like, yeah, and they just kind of were preserving you at one of the facilities that they controlled. And it's like, what if they just, like, burned his body? Yeah. <laughs> what if fucking Toga was right there and she's just like, I want a shit ton of this dude's blood and just start stabbing the shit out of him or something like that? You're like, uh. They make a quick stop because a gang is at work. The Glutton God Gang. All right. Uh, I was mildly amused by this. Uh, only because it reminded me of something recently that blew my mind. So I follow the Marvel account. I think just at Marvel on Twitter. Mostly I follow it just because of like the movie stuff and things like that get announced there sometimes or like reaffirmed there. Um, but every so often, you know, they'll talk about the comics mostly. And they were doing like a poll, like uh, it's like an online poll, like you pick who gets to be the next X-Men. It's a bunch of like kind of X-Men right, side characters. Uh, and I looked through the poll and I was like, okay, like Polaris is in there. I think like Havoc was in there, stuff like that. And then there was a dude and his name is just, no, it's not dude. No, his name is strong guy. And yeah. he looks identical to that. I, I thought it was a joke. I, yeah. I looked it up. I was like, they could not have been so lazy as to just name a dude strong guy. And his only power is like, well, he's a strong guy. <laughs> And then they were just like, nah. And he has the same stupid haircut as that dude as well. Yeah, with the what? Just the <laughs> just, just the big fomp over, and then he's just a big strong dude. This dude has more powers than a strong dude. He actually uh, looks like he can turn into stuff and things. So, a strong guy. He showed up in a cameo in the X Men ninety series. I remember because I had a trading card that had him. So when he showed up in the cartoon, I was like, that's strong guy. So. <laughs> I just I, I want to be like in the the writing room like oh fuck it was uh in the documentary the the toys that made us they talked to the guy who like had to name all the transformers and he was like I had to like do it in a day and I feel like that's what like the X fucking factor pitch goes and I'm like uh is someone she could turn to a wolf uh wolf wolf something they're like sir that's not creative he's like wolf's bane they're like that's that's good we'll go with that all right we need a name for a strong person he's like i have nothing left just call him strong guy just call him fucking strong guy and let me go to bed <laughs> <laughs> they're sleep depriving him yeah, he's so work. <laughs> oh boy so it's the glutton god gang and they're doing stuff and so best genus essentially just takes them all out without ever getting out of his not the Batmobile because he just has threads come out of like some cannons in the front to wrap them all up. And he, when he does this, he tells them no more scarfing glutton God gang, which is an amazing pun. I have to give credit for that. Uh, then he like steps outside of the car to, I guess like just be adored by the public and he's like smoothing his hair over the entire time that he's talking. Uh, and uh, he asks the people like, you know, I don't normally have to like, you know, take a deal with local gangs like this. Where are, you, where are the police? Where are your local heroes? And one guy's just like, they ain't coming. 
The cops have got their hands full with the escaped prisoners, and all the criticism lobbed at heroes made them close up shop and skip town. And one guy is like, who needs heroes anyway? And he's got this odd glove thing on, which best genus seems to recognize. Uh, I would assume I would assume this is one of the heroes who quit after everything that happened and retire like because he's he's just working it looks like like coffee shop job or something mm-hmm. like that so i assume that's what he that's that's what's going on but it's not explicit so no i thought it might be like he's got like one of the support items that the detnerat group has been hawking mm. but it's, mm. maybe maybe that's right i'm sure the chat will tell us so uh they best genus and Hawks continue on their way. Uh, they get to Hawks's home and he says, yeah, before I can recover and show my face, there's something I need to confirm. Uh, we see that the, the family name has been changed. It's, it's now Ukai instead of, uh, Takami. Uh, he goes into the home and he calls for his mom and she's not there. She's left a note and the note reads, I'm sorry. Some horrible men barged into the house and threatened me about our family, so I had to tell them about you and your father. I'm really sorry. I don't want to cause you any more trouble, so I'm leaving. Please be well. I'm very proud of you. Uh, so, essentially, Dobby's method of finding all this information was threaten someone that he shouldn't have known about anyway. But, I don't know. Maybe I guess it's not too difficult to see where Hawks leaves and goes to if he's flying through the air to get there maybe he had someone tail him when he visited home or something Mm. so hawks is a little is just like yeah i kind of figured that my mom was the source of where he got that information best genus starts to make a a fabric pun (laughs) and hawks is like no no no, no, no." It's, it's the best part where he's just like Oh, like a too tight. No, no, no. I'm telling you, my mom just betrayed me. <laughs> my life is shambles. You're not going to make a fucking skinny jeans joke right now. <laughs> but uh, he says erasing that name, no longer taking picking up that name. That's actually severed ties between me and my father. And I was fine with that. Not saving her and turning my back on her. Me, a guy who wants to help people. All this just came back to me. It's actually a relief. The safety commission is effectively shut down for now, so there's no one around to issue orders. And he takes off his breathing apparatus masks and he says, I'm free of my shackles. And we get we get a different flashback to when he and his mom were still living with his dad and how she actually took him into town and took him into a store. And so she... He says, like, yeah, I was complaining, so she took me out of the house to shut me up. And they, she bought him the Endeavor toy because it was a lot cheaper than this than the All Might toys. <laughs> hey, that's a real thing, man. I, <laughs> I owned the bad guy from the Pirates of Dark Water, a show I never watched solely because I think I got it for like a buck fifty or something like that at KB Toys in the discount bin. That's where a lot of toys came from. You made work out of it. I don't remember that show having toys, so <laughs> it had at least one. <laughs> Apparently, just the bad guy, yeah, not the heroes. <laughs> I don't know if there were other characters besides the bad guy. There was 
There were the three heroes. There was the girl, and I don't remember what she looked like. There was the main guy who had, like, dark skin but, like, blonde hair. And then there was the sword guy who had weird facial hair. That's about all I can remember. I just had the green... I saw maybe three episodes of that. I just had the big green pirate who was angry and had spikes coming out of his shoulders. He was a cool dude. He he was an intimidating force for all my hodgepodge toys to go up against. (laughs) Uh, Hawks says that when a person is in a corner or when they're truly free, that's when they show their true nature. And that's why I think that Buba Gawara was a decent guy who was just desperate to be helpful. And I feel the same way. So he thinks back to when he was a kid and he used his feathers to save a bunch of people from like a car wreck. Presumably that this is how he got noticed by like the government uh, was that he didn't listen to disapproving foster dad who told him to die, let him die in a tornado. No, he was like, no, I'm going to use my powers <laughs> to actually save, save people because God, that was a stupid element of the plot. It's it's weird going back. I remember ruthlessly shitting on Man of Steel's stupidest moments. But if you were to like put a gun to my head right now and you had like made me rank all of the DC movies starting from Man of Steel, like the new DC universe, Man of Steel might be top three. It might <laughs> there's, be. there's not a lot of competition. <laughs> so he concludes this by saying, even if what Dobby says about the Todoroki family is true, I know things are different now. Best you just ask him what he's going to do next. And he says, there's a lot for me to clean up, starting with my origin, so to speak. Endeavors and trouble. And uh, while he says this, we get a, you know, just a close up on his back. And obviously his wings were burned away in the fight with Dobby. But they seem to there seem to be forming these nubs. Uh, under his jacket so presumably they are growing back yeah um so i really like this chapter a lot i i really really like that um i i i love seeing this insight in the hawks we kind of had the the reveal earlier of like hey uh hawks has this kind of complicated personality, but he's not a good guy either with Dobby's whole reveal. In fact, he's killed people too. And the, the bad guy, and he was a criminal and his dad, you know, was arrested by Endeavor of all things. And then this chapter comes out and reframes so much of Hawks and particularly his relationship with Endeavor, because you see like, oh, okay, this is a guy who grew up and he idolized Endeavor because he saw him mm-hmm. as a superhero. But we also know that Endeavor knows all these things about who Endeavor is still today. Like, he he has the insight to know that Endeavor is also kind of a shitty human. Like, hey, he's done wrong things. And I, I, I like that there's this part of him that's kind of, I don't know, grown up in a way. And he's kind of seen the, the sides of these characters. And he's like, look... Uh, it's just a very complicated kind of story, and I, I like the direction that it's going. It, it, it makes Hawks's admiration into something that was originally just like pure, I bought the toy, and the person was cool on TV, into, I don't know, this is a guy who I just found a lot of respect for. And it, it, it's just something that I'm I'm very curious to see how this develops. Yeah, and it, I guess it does kind of, if there's going to be someone who stands by Endeavor after all this has been revealed, it would be Hawks. 
And also, it would be the guy who was convinced that Twice is actually a good person deep mm. down. Uh, so there's there's a lot that's been said recently, and just in general about what it means to to truly kind of like redeem a character in fiction. And how oftentimes the shorthand is like the bad guy punches the other bad guy and then explodes afterwards because redemption can only be truly acknowledged by death. Um, I know there's a lot of complicated feelings on Endeavor as well, and I don't expect that to change. I do appreciate that it seems like we are going to go down a long road for this. At least that's the way it's looking like, and that's the way I'm hoping. Um, And even as you were kind of mentioning earlier, we see that like... His dad was an outright dick, like just full on. His mom was a victim of that circumstance, but also a kind of terrible person as well. And it's just tragic to see like how all those things fall apart. Now, Hawks really has nothing in his life that isn't basically being a superhero. That's really all he has at this point. He has no family. He doesn't seem to particularly have a bunch of friends. We've seen no hobbies, no interests. He just cares a kind of about being a hero and living up to that idealization he had as a kid. So it, it really kind of reframes so much of that character for me. Yeah, when he's the person who tries to put on the air of like, I just want to be able to relax. He does seem to be constantly dedicated to doing this. Um we may eventually learn that, yeah, he does actually have some friends, but it seems like his entire life is kind of dedicated to what this organization has been telling him to do. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to be making his decisions for himself. So, Yeah, I mean, he was fully prepared to become a bad guy. Like, he was like, yeah, this will probably get me ostracized from everyone in the hero community because I'm going to have to pretend to be, a, you know, a, a traitor to everybody. But, yeah, I, I mean, seeing that he's kind of free from that, it's it's... It, it makes me a lot more interested to see this character going forward. And I, I'm really hoping mm-hmm. that he gets a recovery. And maybe that also leads to some cool Tokoyami stuff as well. Maybe. All right. Kaiju number eight, chapter 24. We start off with Vice Captain Hoshina kind of just in his office, still boning up on Kaiju number eight, still trying to figure out what the hell is his deal. And he mar- remarks like, you know, there was something that was kind of about him that was almost human. And also Kaiju number nine has been going around posing and speaking as a human. What is going on? We then cut up to the roof where Kafka is hanging out. He's reflecting on how Hoshina had expressed, I do have faith in at least 1% of you. And so he gets really determined. He's like, all right, I can't let him down. I've taken the first step. You know, I'm an officer now, so I'm going to keep on working hard from here. But I should go and hit the hay because he told me to and it's late. He starts to walk off the roof and comets start falling from the sky as we get a third of the way through the chapter. Full full page, uh, full color page. Yeah. You know. (laughs) Well, if you're reading it through Viz, if you go through Manga Plus, you didn't get it. (laughs) Yeah. So. Oh, well. Uh, These, of course, are the kaiju that we saw at the end of the last chapter they were being commanded by another humanoid kaiju they were kind of dragon looking an alert immediately goes around the facility people are waking up uh as word arrives that uh, several dozen kaiju have landed on the base performing some form of aerial raid and in addition to that every single one of them 
is a Honju class threat. So this is a big deal. And they start Im- immediately wrecking stuff. One of them breathes fire on a building. Uh, Hoshina starts going on the radio and issuing commands about what to do. Get the off-duty officers. Uh, get people woken up. Nightwatch you to take these positions. All that kind of stuff. Uh, but as he's continuing to pass on word, he realizes there's been no reports of damage outside the base yet, which means they must be targeting the base, which is very unlike, you know, rampaging monsters. Kafka is still up on the roof and is able to, you know, see everything from that position. Uh, he observes that these are wyvern type kaiju. So, all right. A wyvern is a type of dragon. Shut up. So is it really now, it Nick, is. where does it fall between a Drake, though? I don't know what a Drake is. So. I feel like a Drake is just like a dragon dog, basically. Like they're just kind of like smaller and they have a different body shape or some shit like that. But I never know. I know that a wyvern is the it has four appendages it so, just doesn't have hands, basically. It won't have front right. arms or legs, whatever you'd call it. Or its, or its arms are attached to its wings. So uh, so he thinks that this is also quite strange. And as he explains to Hoshino over the radio, that there are like only 10 Wyvern-type kaiju report every year. And they always operate solo. But these things are operating as a pack. So... As he's about to say, explain, like, they're, you know, this is what I think. Uh, Hoshina has clearly reached the same conclusion, which is there must be some sort of leader pulling the strings. And it must be very powerful in order to make things that normally operate solo operate together. And that's when the humanoid kaiju approaches him, flanked on either side by one of the wyverns. And we get this big full page spread plus of the thing's face as it kind of grins with two sets of teeth and says target found and Hoshina does something really cool because he just says gotta go Kafka duty calls <laughs> 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 I'm gonna fight this thing <laughs> I gotta go fucking I gotta go massacre the shit out of this thing and uh, then we get the title drop for episode three of Kaiju number eight Raid on Tachikawa Base. Uh, that's going to confuse you when this gets an anime and it's yeah, like right. episode three. You're like, this is episode seven. What's going on? Um, I like this chapter. Uh, I will say I kind of get what they're going with with Kafka because it's supposed to be like, well, his time in the cleanup crew has given him his experience. I think it made a lot more sense for him to know the danger of those mushroom kaiju. Yes than it did for him to kind of know like the hunting patterns of a creature he would only see when it's dead. I guess the idea he only ever saw, he only had to ever clean up one of them at a time. And supposedly someone could have told him that's because these things hunt as a pack or something like that. But it's still one of those ones where might be a result of him studying recently though. It might be. This was this was one that didn't feel like as like, ah, like Kafka's using everything he's learned over the, it's this one was like, Okay, I guess you need him to say something smart here, so he seems kind of like intelligent and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with you. I, I mean, it is a thing to p- continue pushing the idea that Kafka's greatest uh, contribution to the Force is his analytical abilities, 
uh, due to his familiarity with different types of kaiju. But yes, it does seem like a less unique thing that he could offer, especially because yeah. by the end of it, Hoshina like kind of seems to get exactly where he's going before he's finished making his point. Yeah. As opposed to when he had to lay out every single detail of his findings from performing the autopsy. So, yeah, like the other one made sense of like, oh, hey, this is a detail that maybe nobody would have directly have known. But somebody who is an int- intricate experience cleaning up the bodies would know. Whereas this one felt like anybody who kind of had a knowledge of these things should probably know, like. It'd kind of be like if you were at sea and like 16 sharks showed up, you're like, I don't, they don't normally hunt in packs. Is Aquaman here to kill me? And you make that point, you're like, I'm very smart. And everyone's like, yeah, it is weird that there is a billion sharks here. Yes. (laughs) No, no. Everybody stop and acknowledge how smart I was. You take out your... Your, your mortar board. <laughs> I'm not... I, look, I have the machine gun, but I'm not going to start firing until everyone acknowledges how smart I was. And the shark just <laughs> jumps out of the water and bites the arm with the machine gun off. And I'm like, well, now see what happened. <laughs> You've all had to reap what you sow. You start giving the Samuel L. Jackson speech, but with one arm. <laughs> I keep, we are not gonna die. I keep doing gesticulating like big arm motions with my now gone arm, like, and the buck stops here. They're like, does it work without the other arm? Everyone's like, do you get what this guy's talking about? I was like, yeah, I'm just watching to see how long he can go before the blood loss and shock makes him pass out. <laughs> they just push me into the water. They're like, use his body to help us get back to shore. Like, I don't know. <laughs> all right let's talk nick about eden zero this is chapter 128 what's important and the cover page has hermit dancing or i don't know she's at a music club or something like that it's a butt shot it's what you normally have to do anyways uh so we open with uh Hamora and rebecca and shiki and xenolith and uh nameless girl from town all riding away because the plant's exploding uh, and there's about nine pages of Shiki and different characters like blowing up robots um, as they're on this motorcycle chase because there wasn't enough content in this chapter to fill out a whole chapter. So after that's done, <laughs> we cut over to Hermit, who is uh, she's she's programming the thing. She's she's going to turn off the the virus that's making everyone evil, basically all the robots. So she says something to lights of like, "Hey, I'm going to be doing this. It's going to." It's going to take a bit. I might get a little overheated. So Laguna's like, all right, well, if you need cooling, I got you covered. And he, he's clearly like, I guess, just pushing water onto her. You see steam rising off her. So you get the, you get the gist of it. And Weiss is like, hey, wait, why are you modifying the code? I thought you needed me to do that. And she's like, no, I need to do it. And you need to kill me if this makes me go berserk. So that's why you're here. And he's just like, well, what does that say about me? And she says, it says that I trust you. Uh, by the way, the the idea that she goes berserk is never brought up again. She solves it with no issue whatsoever. Uh, the head of evil man has little tiny baby robot arms to like push him up to be like, help me! And everyone's like, but no, you're a bad guy. And he's like, but I'm not now. I've learned the error of my ways. Uh, and inside the dream world, we see which has, or uh, yeah, Sister, sorry. Sister has found Clean's, like, 
worst memories, the one I guess that mentally breaks her, and she basically kind of erases the memory for her, which I guess provides her with some level of relief. I don't know how to properly... <laughs> this seems like a bandage, like a band-aid on a gaping wound kind of solution. Yeah, but uh, I guess she fixed it because we see clean in the real world just, just drop a single tear. Uh, I guess with all the relief that that memory is no longer haunting her. Uh, we cut back to the spaceship. Evil Doctor Man's like, humans are trash, help me! And she's like, no, you idiot. You just change sides. It's not about humans being better than robots or robots being better. It's about us, like, working together. He's like, yes, yes, that's right. Oh, yes, my little piece. I mean, my darling assistant. Please don't kill me. So she picks up the head and she's like, Dr. Mueller. And he's like, mm? and then she's like, I finished scanning your retina. That was the last thing I needed to get through. <laughs> and then she just like kicks the head away. <laughs> and um, that's it. <laughs> she's like, I have friends. And we see all the characters on the planet as it looks like it's about to explode. But it doesn't explode. And all the robots return back to normal. Uh, there is a moment, though, where they kind of showcase that a bunch of robots are dead, including Eggbot. <laughs> Like, Eggbot's just, like, a corpse on the ground. And Rebecca's like, so many were lost. I hope that Forrest as bots and humans can manage to become friends again. And that is the chapter. Uh, no shot of that guy who was made to bark like a dog and then got shot through the heart. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, come on. Hey, what am I just going to give it to everybody? <laughs> uh, he wasn't really, you know, nobody liked him. Jeff, everyone hated that guy. <laughs> uh, Creeps Barry. Yeah. <laughs> Fucking idiot. Um, I, look, this chapter's fine. I do like the moment of her using, like, his stupid little comeback as just a way to scan his eyes. And then she does get the big punch of, like, never come near me again or whatever. Um, but again, that relationship has been such a hollow, gross one for the most part that, like, it's not really satisfying to see him get his comeuppance. It's just like, a, oh, thank God it didn't get worse. And I'm also still concerned because after uh, whatever, Corinna or whatever her name was, after the fate that befell her, I'm always kind of a little nervous at how Fairy or Eden Zero is going to go about kind of actually punishing bad guys. Right, right. So, I, you know, I, it's one of those things where I'm like, I don't really feel much satisfaction in this because I didn't really find him to be a character. He was just this being of pure concentrated awfulness distilled into a, a cartoon character, basically. Um, so, like, the, the main drama of the scene is like, will she be able to get this virus? Will she turn evil? Will it get done in time? All of it's kind of contingent on upon a plot line that just hasn't really worked, so... Well, and also, if he's just knocked away and she doesn't do anything to permanently solve the problem, that's also an excuse for him to just show up again later. So Yeah, I assume that we might be running into that point. Maybe what happens is Weiss stays behind and just fucking shoots him in the head or something like that. Weiss would just would climb the ranks very quickly. <laughs> well, right, a right, right after that, he'll fucking he'll look at her through an x-ray machine and be like, nice ass or some shit like that. He'll go right back yeah, down sure. immediately afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh let's talk about new manga chris yes uh, let's we'll, do we'll it start off with uh elusive samurai from last week we get a little bit of a recap of our main characters in this historical ish story uh ashikaga takauji the uh traitorous warrior and hojo tokiyuki the 
heir to the shogunate that is on the run from him. As we begin chapter two, hide from the demon, 1333. So he's had a hard day after, you know, his family and people getting slaughtered and running away. So he needs a little bit of rest. Oh, but the mysterious priest, Yorishige, Yorishige rather, is uh, is creeping on him. Mm-hmm. He's being very gross. He's, just it, like, oh, he's so adorable when he sees it. It's that amusing. Boy, boy. You stop it. <laughs> well, a lot of people are like, this is very unnerving. I don't know if I can get around it. And it was weird. I guess this is just how desensitized I've got. I was like, I don't know. I'd feel like this is just what Matsui does in his series. There's always just like a creepy, weird character in it. So in my mind, it would be like seeing a Wes Anderson film and being like, I don't like how many long hallway angled shots there are in this with indie music atop of it or whatever. I don't like that Bill Murray's in this movie. Yeah, I'm just like, I don't know. I guess at this point, I'm just used to it. So Yorishige uh, is going to kiss uh, Tokiyuki on the cheek until he, you know, darts away. And he's like, what are you doing? Uh, so he, oh, he has evaded again. And we see that the two uh, young-looking warriors uh, <laughs> who kind of stepped in at the end of the chapter are still there with them. They do uh, not have names. They do not they receive do not names, names in this chapter, but they do do things. <laughs> Along with Yorishige's daughter, uh, or whatever she is, she calls herself his daughter. Anyway, so so Tokiyuki is like all business because he says like, hey, you said that you would shelter me in your territory, but we've been hiding in this abandoned house for days because we can't get away from the forces hunting around here. Uh, the priestess girl says don't worry in these outfits we look like we belong to a shrine that burned down and yorishige says yeah and you know i've i can see slightly into the future you're not gonna die here so calm down be patient but tokiyuki is kind of restless he looks outside and he recognizes some of the battle standards that are flying which are warriors who had sworn fealty to the shogunate and were quick to turn traitor and ravage kamakura uh and he also reflects on the fact that Takaoji's had seemed so kind to him whenever they were together, but he's been secretly planning this coup for who knows how long. Uh, they're still hiding out in the shack, and uh, the other young people in their group start playing Settlers of Catan Risk. I don't know. It's <laughs> some sort of some sort of board game that features a map of Japan and like controlling provinces and using dice to determine how much money you earn, uh, which uh, also seems very out of place because it's like got like text on the board and stuff like that. So it's clearly like, how does this exist in 1333? But yeah, uh, uh, I think uh, they made it with fireworks. I think that was around back then. I mean, it was. Yes, that's the only thing I know. Ancient fucking that was China, though, that made it. Uh, but they they probably launched a couple over (laughs) the pacific ocean very (laughs) all right (laughs) fucking nailed it here you go fireworks (laughs) i do like how your idea of how japan got fireworks wasn't like trade or anything like that it was just like oh wow this thing flew (laughs) look look at that (laughs) this Hey, Marty, did you just launch a fucking crate of <laughs> fucking smoke bombs across the ocean? He's like, yep. 
Ah, yes, the 14th century Japanese man, Marty. Uh, Marty uh, Quinn, I believe, or Quan, whatever that dynasty was. <laughs> Fuck, I should have stopped. I sounded smart for a little bit. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> if you ignore the part about fireworks. <laughs> uh, but as they're playing this game, Tukiyuki starts to worry because like, they don't seem like they're taking this very seriously. And also, he's just been remarking upon all these factions that turned on the shogunate so easily so he's like i don't really think that these people are actually going to stick beside me and also yorishike is really creepy so all that uh and now he has doubts about yorishike's word that he could use his evasive abilities and his ability to hide to actually you know save the kingdom or whatever and he goes back to you know the old point that was from the beginning of the last chapter that the way the warriors battle is by doing it head on. They don't play games with each other. So do you really think I can actually take power again by doing this? But at that moment, before you Shika can answer, they start hearing word from outside about, you know, just like, you know, snatches of conversation. And they talk about how Kunitoki, uh, his Tokiyuki's older half brother is dead. And one person's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I saw it myself. And Tokiyuki starts to freak out. He dashes outside and he's like, that's not true. What are you talking about? And before they can go, hey, that's the prince or whatever. Yorishige says like, oh, yeah, he's just an apprentice at my shrine. Uh, Tokiyuki is still very upset to learn that, you know, Kunitoki has been killed. Uh, and he's like, yeah, you know, he he escaped with my uncle, Godain. And uh, it turns out that uh that guy that he was so sure would have protected his brother. Yeah, no, that's the guy who actually turned him in. Uh, and why he got killed is that the uncle was looking for some sort of reward. And um, yeah, they killed him. Cool. And from here, <laughs> we get some more <laughs> anachronisms. Like Godain was hoping that he would essentially take first prize in a pageant for turning in uh, this son of the shogun oh no they had they they had fireworks pageants back then okay (laughs) (laughs) so he was looking to get a reward for this but uh he wasn't very well liked by the people who he turned the sun into. So they just were like, no, go away. <laughs> like you're an asshole. <laughs> you turned a little kid. Fuck you. Anyway, let's go kill this little kid. How dare you betray a little kid? Yeah. You're a monster. <laughs> Yo, get that little kid's decapitated head out of here. <laughs> Tokuyuki can't handle the stress of learning that his brother is dead and was slaughtered and had his head chopped off so he throws up and starts to freak out and just just like everything kind of all the pressure of the situation kind of like starts to become unbearable all at once uh not be not knowing if he can trust anyone even the people that he's with yorishige freaks him out by like diving between his legs and just like making a face up at him uh and this kind of annoys tokyuki into calming down and start and not panicking anymore yay uh, but then he s- says, like, listen, I told you my divine power lets me see the future. And I see a future in which Godain is sitting, surrounded by enemy soldiers, unable to act. Come, and I will show you how you may win this game. You can avenge your brother and take the first step toward reclaiming your rightful place. 
And we cut over to Godain, who is just like sitting amid some rubble somewhere, presumably at one of the many, many places that have been ransacked. And he's just like, God damn it, why did I get awards for turning in that small child to have his head chopped off? The world is unfair, I tell you. Uh, But he concludes from this that it's probably because Kunitoki was you know, the child of a concubine. So he wasn't important enough to, to be worthy of any reward. And he equates this to it not being a good enough roll of the dice for me to get anywhere in this game. There's a lot of game talk throughout Mm. this chapter, more so than there was in the first chapter. Although there was a bit of it with mention of hide from the demon and stuff like that. But there's a lot of visuals involving boards and dice and stuff like that that happened in this chapter. And it makes me wonder if that's just going to be the gimmick going forward for a bunch of parts of this story, or if it's just like the story of how they're dealing with Godain. Yeah, it, 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 it might be the latter, but yeah, I definitely see what you're talking about. So he concludes he needs to get Tokuyuki, and that way he'll get all the recognition and rewards that he reserved, deserves. Uh, meanwhile, uh, Tokuyuki and Yorishige and the rest are spying on him from the bushes uh and he's like listen the moment he decided you were his prey that greedy fiend became a demon one who will pursue you to the ends of the earth and so he gets like reintroduced with these big like movie poster essentially where he's made out to basically be almost a a, like a a, was a cup boy that was what it was, was right? That video uh, game. Cuphead? Cuphead. Yeah, it was it. I don't play video games. so You played like you know, 17 hours of Hades yesterday. Yeah, but that's different. So, <laughs> <laughs> Shut up, just because you can see my Steam activity. <laughs> it doesn't even Steam. I just see you in Discord. I was like, has he stopped? <laughs> so, uh, Yorishige says, we'll defeat the demon who seeks you. And uh, so Godain as just kind of running around being a weirdo. He really is. Making faces at nobody. He's like shooting out of bushes with his fucking mouth wide open and shit like that. But he says, I was born and raised in this area, so I know all the best places to hide. And he just happens to see Tokiyuki out on a cliff looking up at the moon or something like that, looking pretty. He's and like, yes, like, I, I, I know all the best places to hide. The hill with a big rock on it that gets shined upon by the sun. No one will ever look there. So Godain tries to be like, oh, I've been looking for you. I'm so glad you're safe. Come over to me so you'll be safe. I won't betray you and turn you in. But of course, Tokiyuki knows the truth. He immediately confronts his uncle with this with this information and says, why did you betray my brother? The warriors that have been traveling with him try to attack Godain from behind, but he senses their attack, blocks them with his the scabbard of his katana. And so he's like, ah, so you know of my disloyalty. You placed your allies behind me for an ambush and played the trusting fool splendidly. I never would have expected a child to be so cunning. However... Kunitokidono was placed in my care, not merely because of my status as an important retainer, nor because I am your uncle. It was because of my skill as a fighter. And he 
takes off the top of his robe while he says this and slashes randomly behind him and chops a tree into ribbons. It's pretty cool. Like, yeah, I'm fucking awesome. I'm going to take you in and get a reward. Also, I'm ripped, but also very hungry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> his abs are so not the abs. His pecs are so well defined that they look like ribs. So he actually looks very skinny. as yeah. a result. So he's like, yeah, I'm going to kill these two breasts. I'm going to chop off your legs and I'm going to drag you in. And then I'm going to get and I'm going to move up in this game. And so we get narration as Tokyuki draws his sword defensively. The dice are cast. Is this a vicious battle or merely sport? Survival depends upon a game of hide from the demon in these troubled times. What do you think of this chapter, Chris? I like this chapter quite a bit, um, but I will say what I, I like most about this chapter, or I shouldn't say what I like most, but the biggest takeaway I had from it is I feel like next chapter is 100% the make it or break it for this series, because it looks like we're going to have a showdown. We have to play to this idea of like whatever game this is. We have to see what is going to be the accentuated strength of our lead character in some fashion is there some kind of intelligent turnabout he's doing how is this idea of like cowardice and running away going to be portrayed as heroic like if there's a really good chapter next week then i'm going to be really excited and obviously we've kind of set ourselves up for it it's a big one-on-one showdown uh but if next week is pretty underwhelming then that might be the way the whole series goes because i i still like almost everything about it like i love the art i i love the facial expressions um, but it is one of those things where I'm like, will this premise work in the long run? And I think next week is going to be what shows whether it will or not. Yeah, I, this chapter didn't really do anything to make me think to make me change my thoughts from last week of I'm interested, but I'm not convinced this is going to be good yet. Uh-huh. It feels like this has a lot of the tools to potentially be a really good series, but it hasn't clinched it yet. Yeah. And because this is different from a lot of stuff that we tend to see in new series and Shonen Jump, it gives off the air of like, I don't know exactly how good this is going to be yeah. because there's not a lot of reference points to compare it to. So I do hope that, you know, we get a good manga because it would be nice to have a good manga that has, you know, a very different feel to it than everything else running in jump right now. Uh, but I'm not holding my breath yet. So it would be a change of pace as well, uh, to have a veteran come back with a, a second series that seems to like be really strong right out of the gate. <laughs> so, yeah, we've definitely had a few that are, that have not worked out. So, yeah. But speaking about series that may or may not work out, Nick, let's talk about the new series in Shonen Jump this week. I tell C. I don't know what that title means. So. Uh, I think it's like it's something with her name, isn't it? But it's like anglicized. It's 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 something with like the way the Japanese thing works, like ow. And then like detective or something like that, I to Shiri or something like that. It's basically like as translated as I don't know to Shiri or something like that. Yeah. So we get a little bit of uh, we get a bit of a misdirect that happens in this pilot chapter. Uh, 
I could go through this the way the chapter unfolds, or I can tell you what the series actually is from the get-go. Well, I think we're going to have a pretty lengthy discussion about the series and its okay. premise as is, so we may not need to go through Most... every beat. So, we'll just say what is going on here then, and then talk about it. The premise of the story is that we have this young girl uh, who at initially is made out to be a stalker of this uh, popular young actor who mm. seems at first actually to be potentially the protagonist of the series because he's the first person we see and we experience things from his point of view for a good chunk of this chapter. But it turns out he is actually the villain of the chapter and she is not a detective, but a detective adjacent who has essentially figured out that he is responsible for a recent murder and she's stalking him because that's what she does. She stalks down people who are murderers because she has a bizarre form of PTSD and, uh, what's, I forget what it's called. Stockholm syndrome. syndrome. Stockholm, Stockholm syndrome. syndrome. Yes. Where because she survived being kidnapped and fell in love with her uh, kidnapper, she now stalks people who are kidnappers and murderers and basically freaks them out until they turn themselves in. But it's not an act. She it's legitimately act. does fall in love with them. It's just her love is a yandere stalker so creepy and obsessive you want to get away from her love that it tends to make criminals confess. It seems and to be she, the gimmick. And, you know, as she's pursuing this guy, like, she she does something where it seems like she's holding a knife to his throat, but really she's offering him a cold drink, and it just feels like that. She's, you know, figured out every single detail of what he's done. He, she figured out, like, oh, yeah, you committed the murder. You went into some store and you falsified a receipt so that it would look like this guy, this other guy had bought the knife so that the, the police would go after him instead. Uh, and she talks about, like, oh, yeah, so, you know, the the window at the crime scene was broken, but the woman had been stabbed in the back of the head, which means that she was with someone that she trusted, and that... So, it wasn't breaking into her the way you made it out to be, uh, and she says this all kind of, like, quasi-matter-of-factly, but also, like, enthusiastically, because she's so obsessed with him. Uh, and... Meanwhile, while this is going on, our two main supporting characters, a pair of actual detectives who are investigating the case, who also happen to be a pair of brothers, are kind of following the same case, but they're well behind her. And the younger brother. Well, it's not that they're behind her so much as she just seems to not have any oversight, which was actually a little bit of a confusing part of how this chapter plays out because the younger brother, Seikon. Or say yeah, Seikon, I think is his name. Uh Ukon and Seikon. He leaves Just like that Naruto character, yes. Yeah. He leaves the initial meeting after hearing about the fangirl that the, the culprit saw. And then the next time we see him, he has not seemed to have found her, and they have gone off and done something else entirely different. Which made me I was like, so what did he go out to do? Because he abruptly leaves the conversation when she comes up. And the next time we see him, he's just like getting a coffee or some shit like that. So I was like, 
I guess she just operates with no oversight whatsoever. So, seems to be the and, case, and, yeah. and they recognize once they hear that that's the girl he saw, they just give up. They're like, we don't need to do anything more. At least the older brother's like, we don't need to do anything. Yeah. She's got this guy at this point. And meanwhile, Ukon is informing Sakon about who she is, how she operates, uh, and why she is the way that she is and stuff like that. And in the end, uh, Sakon is like, I don't approve of this. Because, yeah, you got the results, but this is wrong. Like, <laughs> and he's you know, at first he's just upset. And his brother's like, oh, come on, suck on you. You you cracked your first case that you were working. It's like, yeah, but she's out of line. This is this is all clearly illegal stuff. She's this case is 100 percent going to get thrown out when it gets to court. And that's when you see like Phoenix, right? Walk into the courtroom and you're like, never mind. This will probably clear. I forgot. Japan's legal system is wacky. Once that guy gets involved. Uh, she also has like her own little, uh, not little. It's a very nice room that she has that she operates from. And she's got portraits of all the people that she has stalked into giving themselves up. And she does flat out say like, oh, yeah, these are all the people I loved in the past. And this case was just another instance of love falling short yet again. Uh, and what he's talking with her is like, Hmm. Actually, you know, when I talk to her with her in this context, she seems like a you know just a nice, charming young lady. And she said, and so he says, I mean, thanks for helping in the arrest. And she's like, No, 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 I didn't help you. I actually was trying to make this guy my blight in white armor. Uh, I want them. I want to love them before they end up crushed under the weight of the sinful cross they bear. And Sakon is like takes his leave from there. He's like. I know I'm new around here, but I have to say one thing. I don't approve of your methods, and I'm going to keep a close eye on you. If you believe you can go about doing things as you did this time, I implore you to reconsider. So it seems as though, as we get narration saying, this is a tale of love, a tale of two detectives of fighting poison with poison. We see the two of them, Sakon and Ayo, Ayoi, back to back. So it looks as though Ukon, the older brother, is going to be more of a major supporting character. And or the he may just be killed early on. I mean, <laughs> get me Yeah. So it seems as though Sakon and Aoi are going to be the main dynamic. The young and naive cop who doesn't agree with fighting fire with fire. And the woman who's just like, I'm going to get me a boyfriend. Uh, and uh, yeah, that is our series it's an odd one, to be sure. Um, I do not know how I feel about it, but I know, Chris, that you have, I think, stronger uh, feelings on it. So, so. it's going to be tough. So I, I, I posted up a tweet where I was like, I, I feel like this is a gimmick that is just going to be beyond this series to get around. Uh, and that was my initial thought when I first read this series, because I'm of two minds. The first is that there is kind of an inherent ugliness in a character who, a female character who weaponizes Stockholm syndrome, which is something I've always heard is kind of a somewhat dubious execution when portrayed in media. Generally, um, it is odd. She falls in love with all of these villains. It feels like you could turn something that is somewhat serious into a joke very easily, and it is even in this chapter. Um, it, it, it's also kind of just troubling at points to see it. Um, 
But there is another side to me that says, I, I look, selfishly, I want the series to succeed just because I want things to read a jump that aren't exorcist battle mangas or mediocre yeah. comedies. Like we have we haven't had a, a mystery series in jump in a while. And there are pieces of this I really like. I will fully admit, I did not read anything about this series going into it. I saw the banner on shonenjump.com when I went to read my chapter, saw the two boring detective dudes on the page, so it was legitimately a surprise to me when the stalker girl turned out to be the detective. You got me. My foot was through the door at that point. I'm in it. Um, And I, I have read the chapter again, and it's kind of lessened my thoughts a little, though I have to always kind of acknowledge whether I'm lessening my thoughts or just becoming more numb to them. But I will say this, I am optimistically going to give this series the benefit of the doubt because exclusively because Undead Unlock also had an awful opening, a very problematic opening, and it has since kind of turned that around. The elements that were bad there are still there, but it's kind of been reframed and, and reworked to be something isn't actively gross every time you kind of see it and that's my hope here is that there are ways to like reframe this character and reframe this premise a little bit without taking away because I, I i'm fine with the idea of yandere detective it's it, you know i i like you know detective shows where there's a quirky cop i mean that's like you know fucking 101 and in, in getting a usa tv show basically so like i'm i'm to the point where i i like the premise I'm curious to see where it goes, but it's, I feel like it's going to go one of two ways. It's going to get a lot better or it's going to get a lot worse. And I don't know which way it's going to go. I will say that I have one uh, disappointment to express in the chapter, which is uh, when IOE stops uh, being portrayed in uh, silhouette, because I thought that was a very striking visual, Mm. her grinning face on the dark featureless uh, uh, face and the hair surrounding it and stuff like that. And then she just looks, you know, much more like normal, attractive young girl instead. So she has a nice design though, with something else. I also kind of like, I feel like for a series about this, it very easily could have fetishized her a lot more. And Mm -hmm. thankfully it didn't, but again, it's only chapter one. (laughs) So who knows? Um, there, there's also stuff in here just narratively, as mentioned, that I'm, I'm kind of interested to see what happens with the older brother. There are details to the unsolved case that shows there was another victim in the case that uh, Aoi was in, whose name is like, like hidden. So somebody else she was kidnapped with that might be relevant. I'm actually kind of intrigued by the series, and I want to get invested in it, but I feel like right now. I have like one of those polls that like if the series tries to get too close, I'm like, no, no, we're not getting that close right now. You haven't proven yourself yet. You know, like I have to like keep it away because I, I I'm just waiting for the series to take a turn in the worst direction or something like that. Yeah. Um, it's definitely a thing that I think raises some flags for a lot of people. It personally didn't like, I didn't get like a feeling, an unsettling feeling when I was reading it, but I did get to a certain point. I was like, oh, that could be problematic. So, yeah, I know there's also some concerns about the fact it's, you know, a cop 
piece of media, and there's a lot of people who have issues with that. Um, mm. I will totally understand if people have that issue, but I also, at this point, I just don't, like, in the same way, I don't expect One Piece to ever, like, talk about real-world pirates and the horrible atrocities they commit. I don't expect, you know, police detective genre stuff to, you know, really address that stuff either. It'd be interesting if they did. I just don't expect it to happen. Right. Also, I will know, by the way, one last thought. Um, The actual case itself, the mystery, fucking garbage. (laughs) It's very, very (laughs) I mean, all all the first things in these things usually are, but this is one where I was just like, I don't know how everyone thought this was open or shut. They're just like, a woman sat in front of her window as it was broken into and then sat still while she was murdered and stabbed in the back of the head. You're just like, (laughs) no one one thought to be like, who was in the house at that time or anything? (laughs) Yeah, um, all the stuff that she says does seem like if I mean, if you watch any number of like detective series and stuff like that, that's all very like, oh, I love me some there was a broke there was a broken thing, but the glass was outside and the guy yeah yeah how do you break the glass from the inside or something well the thing i guess the thing that's weird to me he never explains why he murdered her there is no No, explanation for why he committed the crime uh no and he never has like that you know to do another phoenix right thing he never has that like yes it was me freak out or anything like that because he's too busy freaking out over this weird stalker girl who I mean, I know the idea is that she's a creepy Yandere girl and she's and she creeps him out. But like, I mean, he did kill one girl. Why doesn't he kill her? <laughs> it does seem like that is going to be the big Achilles heel for her is there's she's going to come across one, you know, serial killer who's just messed up enough that this behavior doesn't bother him. And then they uh, that, that case just goes unsolved and she just uh, moves in with him. Yeah. And that's that's it. So. All right, let's talk right. about Magu-chan, Nick. Let's talk about those Chapter- cosmic horrors. Chapter 29, Zonzage of Despair. Uh, we see someone holding up a confi- an isolation crystal thing, the same kind that uh, trapped Magu, and casting it onto the ground to summon Zonzage of Despair. Then we cut over to the occult uh, you know, group after school, Rue is hanging out there with her friends, and Izuma signs his name in the book of the Destruction Disciples Blood Oaths, the best friend book, uh, which Uneris finds very, very amusing. Uh, and she wants to write her name in it as well because she thinks it's so funny, which Magu doesn't get. She's like, why is it so funny? You will be my best friend, which means that you will follow my orders, you know. So, uh... Yay, God, work. Yay. You're right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Don't look Smart to girl. me. She wants. <laughs> she's, she starts asking, like, who is this guy? Izuma kind of recaps the previous chapter, and he essentially says, like, my gale slash and arctic blizzard, nor any of the other four attributes worked against you, so I must come up with a new attack to defeat Magu. And she just, like, your attack names are really lame. <laughs> And Isma's just sorry. I just love his reaction because he's like, "They're lame." (laughs) Had no idea. Um, but Rue is like, "Yuika's just blunt. Don't don't mind her." Um, so 
They've got a new member of the occult club. Hooray. Uh, Kyo, the tall, awkward girl who's obsessed with occult stuff, comes in. And Rue's like, look, we've got a new member. And she's like, no, no one would join the occult club. He's just trying to make fun of us. Someone with such a flamboyant die job would sneer at us. Because nobody with a flamboyant die job would ever be into nerd stuff, let me tell you. I know that cultures are different, and that tends to be what cool people do, apparently, in Japan, but still. So, she's all depressed, and everyone's like, this is kind of weird. But at that moment, Izuma and, and Uneris and Magu all sense something on the school ground. So they rush outside. They notice that a lot of students are acting the same as Kyo, all down and depressed. And... Immediately, Izuma's like, I know who this is. It's him, the rankless being, Zonzage of despair. And Zonzage is this little sea urchin-looking thing, pure ah. black. And he's got one eye. He looks almost like he looks like a Kirby villain, honestly. I mean, he looks specifically like a sea urchin so much so I mistake him for there's like a sea urchin Pokemon that this looks identical to. So mm. So Zanzige doesn't like being out in the open where it's bright and uncomfortable for him. Uh, Ruru kind of asks, like, oh, so he's a god like you, Magachan? And Maga's like, nay, he is our brethren, but he is undeserving of the title god. He is a being with no rank. So, gotta establish this because, spoiler, he partners up with a much less important character. But he just, <laughs> <laughs> How dare you! Izuma... Uh, doesn't have his sword with him, so he's going to attack this thing with a ruler. Okay. Those things do hurt. Uh, so he starts to launch an attack, and Zonzage freaks out and launches out barbs of despair in defense. One of them uh, pricks him, and immediately Izuma just kind of like hunches down, and he gets all super depressed, and he's like, my moves were lame the whole time. So, yeah. You're not cool, dude. Sorry. And he's also, you know, realizing like oh i'm never going to be strong enough to be magu he's just super depressed about everything uh so they're they seem to be in trouble because the one human among them who you know can fight uh he's down and out uh zonzage tries to run away they've got to stop him in order to stop you know everyone from being depressed and stuff like that so they start chasing him through the halls naputaku was is there too because <laughs> He heard that there is a free meal at school called school lunch, but I missed it. <laughs> so he's sad now. Uh, I like Ren, the idea he didn't even get, like, I know he did, but in my mind, I like the idea that he didn't get stabbed by Zonga and he was really just that bummed out. He's like, fuck! I wanted free lunch! Don't we all? Ren manages to grab Zonzage in his bare hand so that doesn't go well uh, so he just says why am I so mediocre shit dude I like okay, that man. I like fucking Magu Chant dunking on its own pre like series in this chapter <laughs> <laughs> Naputuku joins it because Izuma and Ren and Naputuku all throw a pity party together and Naputuku's like I'll never be able to make a good pudding. So he just wants to cook good, like a weird foodie guy, yeah. starfish. So Ruru and, and Magu keep on chasing after Zonzege. 
Oneris starts shooting on her camera because she's very helpful in situations like this. Uh, and she explains, like, listen, you know, Zanzuke can be really annoying, but he's, you know, he's a coward. Uh, it, with every negative emotion he feels, he grows more depressing spines. And because his personality sinks others into a pit of despair, he only gets more depressed. An endless cycle of negativity. The pull of universal des- desolation, as it were. Uh, and Zanzuge is just like, oh, everywhere I go, bad things happen. I'm, I'm My powers don't help anyone. The world will be better without me. And Ruru tries to take a different approach, which is by being Ruru and offering a hand of friendship and saying, oh, hey, that's not true. Don't say things like that. Uh, th- it's okay. You don't need to be afraid. We we can be friends. And Zonzuge freaks out because someone is being nice to him. And he's like, it hurts when someone's nice to me. So a needle almost hits Ruru in the eye, which would be very, very bad. But Magu just blocks it with his arm and he starts to get really pissed off. The the bar breaks off in his tentacle and he's like, how dare you threaten my domain? And he's going to blow him up with his eye lasers to deal with the situation that way. But at that moment, Yuika appears and she's got a net and she says, oh, hey, you're the guy who did something to Kyo. Well, this is for her. I'm going to catch me a sea urchin. And she just swings the net and Zonzage freaks out, casts out a bunch of barbs, saying, don't come any closer. And everyone's freaking out because all the barbs are going to pierce you. We can make her depressed. And she just goes right through them, breaks through the barbs, catches them in a net. And it turns out Yuika is apparently Davis from season two of Digimon. She doesn't have a negative side to feel bad about. <laughs> She's too big of a young idiot to, ha- to have any any problems that befall middle schoolers. So she just grabs him in her bare hand, doesn't care about all this darker emotions thing. And uh, she's like, you know, you, you, you're a little pipsqueak, but uh, you were naughty. And she starts calling him Unisuke. And she says, you might not be as cool as me, but that was impressive. Uh, and Zonzuke is like, you think my power is impressive? No one's ever told me that before. And everyone's depression starts to lift as Zonzuge starts to feel a bit better about himself. So Izuma wants to, you know, take the dark being away from her. And so Yuika taps him on the head with him. And he falls into depression when she does that. And she's just like, ooh, on, off. <laughs> Which honestly, like, I feel like I would do that too. <laughs> she's like, ooh, you depressed? Happy, depressed. <laughs> so... The day is saved by Yuika not having inner turmoil, but Magu says meaningfully to Uneris that it's only been 300 years since Onzage was sealed away by the Holy Knights. It's hard to believe he resurfaced. And so he says to Uneris, you've been set up, haven't you? Uh, and they start to wonder, what could they be after? What turn of events is this? Presumably, the Order of Holy Knights is going to intrude upon the story at some point in the future. Yes. So. Um, what did you think about this chapter, Nick? I want to hear I your it thoughts. It's actually okay. I like uh, I like Yuika in this chapter more than I liked her in a lot of her previous appearances. So, uh, I was really excited at the start of the chapter because it's such an ominous beginning and like the reveal of a new god, the god of despair. 
Uh, and I also kind of do like the bait and switch that, you know, he's the god of despair, but he's actually just very sad himself and just makes yeah. others around him sad. So I, I do like that that Zonge, which is what I'm going to call him. I know his name is Zonzage, yeah. but it's Zonge in my mind right now uh, and forever. Uh, I, I like that he has like a happy ending to him. I don't think I, I like I I just don't give a shit about Yuika. And I don't think this will change it. So Probably it was not. kind of mildly amusing that it was like, yeah, like shitty characters get shitty, less important gods. <laughs> like, Pretty much, yeah. Whatever stupid character they'll reveal for the fucking UFO girl to have. Like, all right, fine. Just give one to everybody, basically. What if Rian gets a god? And they just sit around all day getting hiding. Oh, it's like the, it's like a god of. um. What would you call it? Like, uh, oh yeah, the god of fat clouds. <laughs> I was trying to think of like what, like, like the term you would want to use for it, like the god of of uh, indulgence or something like that. But yeah, the god of fat fucking clouds is way better. <laughs> the god of sweet good Kush. <laughs> the god of Colorado. <laughs> uh. Yeah, I thought that it was it was fine. Yeah, I, I, I don't have like a strong hatred of the chapter. Or anything. I guess I'm intrigued. There was a little bit of disappointment because like, who is Monko Chan going to get serious? And then it didn't. But then I was like, but it kind of gets a little serious at the end if you squint and turn your head enough, you know, so there's that. It's kind of hard to get a read on Magu because everything is through this very cutesy lens. So even ominous and upsetting things are, you know, yeah. like down to. Ruru's mom might not make it home for Christmas. Aww. <laughs> <Yes. Aww. laughs> As opposed to the world might be ending. So uh, let's move on then to Dr. Stone 183 Stone Sanctuary. Time to get stoned. The uh, America team of the Kingdom of Science uh, managed to craft diamond. Very, very, very tiny bits of diamond which yo is like we're gonna be rich but like that no no you're not like first of all economy <laughs> second <laughs> of all it's not very big uh so nikki brings up like i mean this is way too small to be a, a battery for the medusa so how do we make it bigger and Senku says, yeah, making large diamonds in a lab is basically impossible. So you've got to go dig up some natural diamonds. <laughs> and so everyone's like, well, why did we go to all this trouble to make this tiny diamond? And Magma's like, I'm going to kill you, Senku. <laughs> uh, but Senku says, listen, diamonds are just copper. Another type of stone hang out in the earth. But the moment that people get their hands on those stones, they transform into treasures. He doesn't answer why they need the small diamonds yet. He's being a real well, tease about this. Well, get to it. Calm down, everybody over there. Jeez. Dr. Chelsea. Oh, damn it. We were doing so well. She shows up. <laughs> she shows she up. She shows up doing a pose. That I'm like, I feel like only like OnlyFans producers do. Like one of those poses no natural person ever does, but you kind of do oh, it in a way. Oh, no, I opened my crotch for this shot. <laughs> Something like that. I was just like, what would drive someone to pose in that kind of like it's almost like a JoJo pose or something like that, except they're usually not dynamic enough to include furniture in JoJo poses, so 
I'm also curious as to how she's actually staying upright, given the position of her feet and the way that her knees are bent. Because she's got to get her leg up really high in order to get on this table, but her knee is also bent at a 90-degree angle in order for her to be at the right height in order to have her leg up that high to be on the table. I can actually answer this question for you, Nick. Uh, You see, they have fireworks, and... (laughs) With fireworks, anything is possible. <laughs> Let me see if I can... Hang on. <laughs> All right. Now, Nick, do you have fireworks on you by chance? This hurts so much! <laughs> well, you don't have those pliable fucking geologist legs, Nick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so... She directs them to some places where the they can go and get some diamonds... There's a lot of text that I didn't read because she's just naming locations and that they can find diamonds. And Seku translates to, I know where to dig if we need a few natural diamonds. <laughs> Thank you, Seku. So uh, Magma sets off with, I believe, uh, Kinro. Uh, he's off in the background. I can't really see him. No. And so Senku asks people, pop quiz, which is tougher, lab-made diamonds or natural diamonds? And Taiji's like, it's got to be a natural one, right? And Chrome's like, nah, it's the ones we know science. And Zeno gets haughty about this, saying, ah, there you have it. The unfounded belief that nature produces higher quality resources than man. How perfectly ironic. He's got this. He must say this three times a week or something like that. This is like his I, his dinner party speech that where he's like, you know, swirling a wine glass. Uh, yes, you see, the problem is that with with society is that everyone assumes that nature produces higher quality resources than man. It's, it's just it, it must kill at all his big science get, uh, parties and stuff like that. This is what makes him popular. So, Senku explains... Diamond is the hardest substance we know. Only other diamonds can scratch and grind it. Lab-made ones are harder than natural ones by a lot, so we're going to turn the lab-made grains into a rasp, like sandpaper. And at that point, Reesui catches on. He's like, all right, so we're going to get a big natural diamond, use the smaller lab-made ones to grind it and polish it down to the exact right size and shape, to make it into a diamond battery for the Medusa device. And that's why they needed the science diamonds in the last chapter, and that's where they're going to take for the natural ones. It all makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. That's very well laid out. Uh, Joel makes is like, yeah, I can do that. And Nikki's like, good. And he gets immediately embarrassed because that's his gimmick. He doesn't know how to talk to women. So Senku says... Listen, this is going to be the globetrotting team's last communication to you folks, which freaks out almost everyone who hears it. Uh, but Ukyo says, yeah, um, on the chance that Stanley's gang is traveling around South America, they're going to be able to detect us if we send a radio transmission. That defeats the purpose of us making this stealth ship. So we get a big, you know, multi-frame two-page spread of Senku saying, we won't get to talk again. Until this battle is over. Oh, it's a very... oh, you can actually send transmissions to us. We just won't be able to respond. To <laughs> it's a very uh, cool, like, spread, too, of seeing, like, the faces of the different sort of players at work here. Mm. Uh, 
so they go through all that. Meanwhile, Zeno is up to no good. He's tangling some wire around his weird metal claw things. And Taiju's looking at him like, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, don't mind me. My hands tend to fidget when I'm deep in thought. Oh, I know that feeling too. I like to rip boards out of the ship when that happens. <laughs> oh, that's what all those holes are for. Yeah, I just break things. I'm not going to betray you, so <laughs> don't hurt me, please. <laughs> I don't know how to break people, but one day I'm going to learn. <laughs> uh, essentially, what he does is he magnetizes his claws. Uh, by doing this uh, as he is about to hatch his betrayal scheme thing. Uh, Kaseki is looking at, you know, with the Medusa device and is like, oh, you know, if, if Joel figures out how to make these, if he explains it to us, how do we do it? Because they don't have diamonds. So Dr. Chelsea is like, Alexa! Which Senku already knew about, so she contributes nothing by pointing this out. <laughs> Is that how it's spe- it's pronounced? Oh, I guessed. <laughs> uh, let's see. Hold on. Pronunciation. Uh, it's something similar to that. Uh, Arasha. Arasha. Okay. That's what I heard. Arasha. Okay. So... It's a place in Brazil where there are veins of ore, and so that's the place that you should go on this continent if you want to get rocks of any kind. And it's also where Senku has been planning to found their super alloy city. Uh, so it, this was what they're a place that they're going already going to stop. It just happens that it also coincides with them being able to power the Medusa batteries. Hooray! Gen gets suspicious of something that Zeno's doing is like, hmm, I suppose you had an inkling that uh, that would be our destination down here. And Zeno's like, oh, I knew he wouldn't overlook the valuable resources we- he needs. We're both rocket specialists after all. And uh, he tests his magnetized claws by, oh, these screws are laying on this table. Dink. Cool. Which Senku notices, it seems. So, hmm. Uh, we cut over to Stanley's ship, well, the Perseus with Stanley's crew at that moment, and uh, one of them's like, hey, we've got some weird static, maybe they're communicating. And their radar guy is like, yeah, there's some sort of weird signal, man-way noise, in the pa- but, you know, the pattern is very regular, it can't be naturally occurring. So Stanley immediately concludes it's from Zeno. Uh, he's like, okay, but what? I mean, you know, wh- wh- where are we what is it about? Uh, and so Stanley's trying to figure it out. I was like, mm, it could be about radar jamming, stealth ship, anti-radiation missiles. Uh, and so someone's like, there's no way they've got anti-radiation missiles. And he's like, not when it comes to Senku. It's possible with his junior science brigade group. And Zeno would not alert us to something pointlessly. Mm. When they made their getaway, he made sure to blink at me to tell me where they were going. He actually blinked at him way back then. The goal is Arasha. So uh, Stanley's like, all right, change of course. We're going to call off the hunt. We'll beat them to their final destination. When we cut over to Senku's group again, uh, they have made a quick stop on the shore. And in order to get there, they need a shortcut. So they kind of whip up a rope 
elevator thing. It says elevator acquired. Um, not really. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't no automation to this elevator, so. <laughs> we get a little bit of a spot on the map where pe- people are. Uh, Stanley's group is traveling up the river in order to get there, whereas Senku's group has stopped on the shore of the ocean in order to make their way there by land. And uh, Stanley says, we made it here first. Now, when the kitties show up, we'll make Swiss cheese out of them. Okay. But we also check in on Joel, who's like, when I make the diamond battery, we'll have the petrobium on our side. Senku says, getting diamonds for batteries will give us the best chance against, in our fight against Stanley. A Medusa machine gun to turn the tide. The final battle will go down deep in the Amazon at the Stone Sanctuary. So I'm going to I'm going to say one of my favorite, I guess, I don't know if you call it a trope, but like uh, instances of like or like uh, sequences, that'd be the word to use in shonen manga is when like a bunch of different people are all about to do things and we instantly kind of cut around to them to very quickly like reaffirm what everyone's doing, what everyone's motivation is, and how they're about to collide together. And this was a great execution of that. We instantly see what Zeno's been doing, how Senku is kind of walking into a trap, how Stanley is there and what he plans to do, how Joel and the other side of the the team are working off back over in America. Like it's all these things kind of lean up. So I'm actually really excited for this confrontation happened because I kind of now feel like I know everything that's going on and all the characters that are involved. Um, I am. Yeah, I am curious because it seemed as though Senku realized what Zeno was doing, but he just let him keep doing it. So it seems as though knowing Senku, there is a reason behind that. And I'm looking I'm wondering what that is and looking forward to the reveal of, of it, because if we hadn't gotten that, just that one shot of his eyes, it would have been like, OK, maybe he does and maybe he doesn't know. But now it's like, no, no, he definitely knows that Zeno's doing something Yeah, because he very obviously curled those wires around his metal claws and very obviously tested the magnetism of them. So, yeah. Uh, so Senku knows and he kind of at the same time recognizes the showdown's going to happen because otherwise he would have no reason to expect that Stanley was going to be there unless they were just going to wait for him there anyway. I think he right. kind of is is of the idea that there's going to be a fight here. So it's actually, I don't know, man, I'm really actually pretty pumped to, to see how this all happens. And I'm actually really like excited it's taking place in Brazil. I feel like there's not a whole lot of things that happen in shonen manga that involve like any country that isn't like Japan, Germany, or America basically. So... Hmm. It's kind of cool to to have this unique location. Yeah. Um, And this will also hopefully provide a more satisfying conclusion to the fight with the American science kingdom that we didn't really get the first time around. So, yep, absolutely. All right, Nick, let's move on then to Mashal Magic and Muscles, Chapter uh, 48, Mash Burn Dead and the Lambs to the Slaughter. So, you know how uh, in uh, Rogue Town arc, it's like a big yes. misdirect that like a little girl runs yes. up to Smoker and spills her ice cream and he looks all big and tough and that he's really nice. The exact opposite happens here as the little girl bumps into order and he's like, bitch, <laughs> get out of my way. He says nothing and just walks straight past her and you're like, fuck you, you animal. Uh, 
the what crowd the exact same thing that in this chapter the, like the chapter unfolds the exact same way except that there is ice cream dripping off his pants <laughs> that'd, be, that'd be fucking really funny uh so yeah order shows up to basically confront mash one last time before the tournament starts uh basically calling him uh the monster of humanity your existence shouldn't be here you're awful i hate you i hope you fail and mash is just like er and then he stops and his muscles start talking to him and they're like he doesn't mean that mash he's like thanks kevin and you two tom mike mon mike kim and yamada i'll stay strong for you and i love that order has no response to it. he's just like what the fuck is this guy <laughs> Uh, so Mash goes into the stadium. He's the last one announced for the competition. Everyone, of course, is like, wait, isn't that the guy who can't use magic? Why is he even here? This is bullshit. Boo, go home. This yeah, you should go home. Clap, 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 clap. And everyone's like, that's not a great chant. But they're just like, look, we haven't had the time to like coordinate it. We didn't know he was going to be here. We just went with it. All right. Um, one of the guys, I can't remember which one he is. And I meant to make a note to myself to check it ahead of time, but I can't remember. I'm just going to call him More Tomato because I remember that being a name of a guy. I don't think it's this guy, but I'm going to call him More Tomato until I know it's not. Uh, he's just like, why are we even fighting over Divine Visionary if a guy like this could be candid? You guys sure this isn't a mistake or anything like that? And of course, Finn and Doubt or Dot are both like, you know, don't be a bully. Mash earned his place to be here. And then Finn's just like, yeah, uh... I don't think I should be here or anything like that, but like Mash is, mm -hmm. Mash really, like, he must be under incredible pressure. He needs to be here. And then he's like, hey, Mash, don't pay in Mash. It's just like, I want to go home. Finn's, Poor Mash. Finn's like, it's I don't bully. blame you. Yeah, it's very sad. Um, so yeah, they're like, hey, we have all 12 candidates here. Here's how the first round is going to work. It's a survival match. There, guy who talks, by the way, the tall guy mm -hmm. is LeBlanc Russell. LeBlanc Russell. That's not as that's not as silly of a name as uh, More Tomato. I only need to keep that note because I believe he's the guy who gets eliminated in the first round of this chapter. Uh, so we're introduced to the gimmick for this. It's called the Dettervance Haunt. And basically... It's death by, uh, Dead by Daylight. If you've ever played that game, you have to find a key and escape as a bunch of people try to hunt you down. But the only way to find the key is to use magic to pop a balloon. So we'll be curious to see how Mash uses that gimmick around it. And they're like, yeah, there's three deader vaunts, uh, basically giant like uh, goat headed butchers that are going to be haunting around the, the map. And of course, Finn's just like, that's scary. They all get teleported into it. And they're like, hey, um, just to like so this is going to be kind of real but kind of not so like these things are going to be hunting you and uh the one dude leblanc i think uh well, i'd like before we get to that okay everyone you know enters the forest and we get you know dramatic entrances from all of them some more tomatoes got stuff swirling around him mash is there dot is looking bizarrely calm and determined uh, and then we, when we see Finn, he's just huddled up <laughs> next to some boxes and it's like, ah! <laughs> oh yeah, this is terrifying for poor Finn. Uh, I think it's LeBlanc Russell. I may have actually been mistaken because he doesn't. It is LeBlanc. Is it LeBlanc? I didn't remember if he had the hat or not. He basically gets caught by a Dettervant immediately, tries to use magic. And then the announcer's like, I should mention the Dettervants are immune to magic. Uh, and then when they hit you, it's game over. You get teleported back to the arena. With soul-splitting pain, that is. <laughs> Everyone's like, what the fuck? You should have told us that first. And so they're like, 
Cool. There's no hint as to where the key is, so we have to just scramble for the key. This is like a test to see how long we can use magic, or how long we can escape without using magic, because we can't. And the announcer's like, yep, this is a test to see how skilled you are without using magic, because you can't use magic to hurt these guys. And Well, without using magic offensively. Yeah. Um, so... They can use their magic in order to try and keep away from these creatures. Yeah, but, but like basically you can't like you can't use gravity magic to like weigh it down or gravity magic or explosive magic to blow it up. They're like it just won't work. They're immune to magic that way. So you're going to have to run. It's the how and how well that's being tested. And everyone's like, oh, what a sick thing. Oh, man, I can't believe one dude's already eliminated in the first minute. This year's candidates suck. And they're like, yeah, well, last year had rain. There's no comparing it to that. And then Mash runs up and just fucking punches one of the Van Terfonts, like, right in the yeah. stomach. And it just falls over, like, oh, oh. It's the gazelle punch <laughs> from Epo. Yeah. And everyone just goes, whoa. <laughs> and everyone's like, what the fuck? He just knocked them down in one punch. And Mash is just like, cool. All right. Time to find that key. <laughs> it's it's somewhere you know. The moment they explain, they're like, they're immune to magic. Magic can never hurt them. You're like, okay. So Mash is going to one up and punch one of these guys, but it's still so satisfying just to see him be like, boom. All right. Where's that key? <laughs> <laughs> it just doesn't give a shit. Yes. No fucks to give for this competition. Uh, line of the chapter is definitely. I want to go home. Yeah. So. <laughs> you do feel bad for Ash in that moment. Oh, but yeah. uh, I think still a very good, uh, a very good little chapter. Um, yeah. Nice little start to the uh, tune in exam. Uh, mm-hmm. We'll see uh, how things continue to unfold from here. So. Mm-hmm. All right. Ayakashi Triangle. Chapter 30. Follow Garaku. Matsuri, just because you're a girl doesn't mean that you can just wear one article of clothing and everything's fine. You know, Nick, I mean, uh, if you're okay with having denim digging into most of your body, fine. I personally think it shapes a little without, you know, when you go commando. So, uh, Nick, I believe it is a known thing that women often paint wearing nothing but uh, denim overalls. Well, that's my ignorance, Shiny. Yeah, I apologize I, to all the female painters of the mm-hmm, world who mm-hmm. definitely paint while dressed exactly like this. So. Yeah. They couldn't do that before fireworks, as you know. They, <laughs> needed, they needed that crucial attention. <laughs> it was an important moment in women's It rights. revolutionized everything. <laughs> But like, we can't talk about how important the invention of fireworks was to everything, really. It changed the game. When that first one went up, women's lips sprang into existence. <laughs> People were like, I don't even wear this fucking bra anymore. Give me that paint bucket. <laughs> Look at that shit in the sky. <laughs> oh, man. See, in order to properly capture the fireworks explosion, you just got to, like, s- spray paint everywhere. Yeah. So you've got to be wearing as few clothes as possible to capture them. Yeah, you launch all your shirts into the air with it. Because so, <laughs> you're like, <laughs> don't need these anymore. <laughs> That's how fireworks work. Yep. <laughs> all right. Uh, so before we get that cover page, we get a very foreboding introduction to a creepy looking Ayakashi that's wearing some sort of oni mask and sort of a uh, priest like garb. 
uh, and it's just kind of saying to itself as it emerges from what seems to be a ceiling stone, how dare she, that little girl? I won't rest until I get my revenge. I'll find you and turn your flesh and bones into dust. That damned Ayakashi medium. Bum, bum, bum. Anyway, our three idiot heroes are uh, tailing after Garaku as he is uh, walking with very poor posture about his day. Uh, and Suzu just asks aloud as they're doing this and in the middle of doing this, why are we following Garaku? <laughs> and Shirogai's like, I've got a feeling about him. So, um, and Matari does kind of agree, like, I mean, he's been suspicious from the first moment he showed up. So I'm sure that he's up to something when he's not around us. So they follow him around his day. And he's just going around just sketching things. He sketches that one muscular teacher who he did arrange for like a little meeting with him, which is very sweet in a bizarre way. It's like, oh, sure, I'll pull this for you. It's like, oh, that's nice. Yeah. Uh, he chases after a cat whose balls we see because that's very important to establish that it's a boy cat. Uh, I I did almost print out the shot of him saying the artistic qualities of cats is everlasting because I want to make it a t-shirt. <laughs> I want to like tattoo it to my chest because it's a it's a sentiment I can really get behind. Uh, he has to chase the cat because the cat notices him and is like trying to run away from him. And they're like, I mean, he could just go find another cat to draw. Why is he running after that thing to draw it? And he ends up getting run over by a guy on a bike. But he's like, oh, no, 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 I, I saw something I otherwise wouldn't have seen. So he climbs up to the top of a freaking tower in order to draw something from up there. Uh, Izumi, who I believe is, oh, God, I believe she's like the principal who showed up that one time when he was introduced. I don't know. But she's like, you're late. You've got to hurry. And so there's actually like this entire like uh, display set up for him at what appears to be a, like an art museum. Uh, yeah, I'm not. I'm not. I can't read that because <laughs> of the weird text. Yes, it says city museum. OK, God, go. that was hard to read. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so. Um. He is there's even like a thing where he's going to be painting stuff live and they're going to like stream it uh, to draw people to the, to the museum. Uh, and he's like, oh, this is ama what amazing time this is. There were people all over the world can see my paintings and stuff. And uh, they're this, you know, just kind of lets the kids know, like, oh, this Garaka guy is actually a very popular artist. A random dude pops in to give trivia to Matsuri about him and it's completely unwelcome. So, yeah, great. Uh, so Matri's distracted by this. And so Suzu's just kind of left on her own for a little bit. And she happens to spot this one small picture. And because it's so small, it catches her attention and she approaches it. And it's this tree, uh, with, which has, you know, like this, I forget what exactly the meaning of it is, but it's like a ceiling rope is tied around it. And when she spots it, suddenly a tear flows down from her eye. And uh, at that moment, you know, Matsuri and Garaku and Shiragane all happen to come over. So she asks, where is this tree that you painted? Because it feels really nostalgic. And Garaku is at first kind of surprised, but then he kind of smiles. And he's like, no, 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 you're just mistaken, Suzu. You're probably just experiencing deja vu. There's no way you know that tree. Uh, but he invites her to show uh, her where it is. 
and it's gone. The sacred tree is gone. And it's just now there's this observatory platform in its place because modernization tear down everything and put up a platform. Yeah. Which we could have probably put 20 feet to the left where there wasn't a very important tree. So, but, uh, he says it was cut down at the beginning of the Meiji era. So, um, and he's like, yeah, lumber was the main source of building materials back then. So, you know, all the woods were cut down at that time. So he says, because they're like, oh, so you didn't paint it while looking at it. He's like, no, I based it on my own distant memory. The sky, sea and earth. This place was her favorite place. This is him saying it to himself. But he's not saying it out loud. Although, wait, yes, he is. Because Susan knows what he, he responds to what he's saying. Never mind. Uh he says, here she was surrounded by flowers, birds, the wind of the moon, all the beauty of nature. And he's about to tell Suzu who it is when suddenly the creepy masked Ayakashi guy shows up right in front of Suzu and goes, found you. And it tries to attack her with a paper fan, but Matsuri protects her, demands to know who this guy is. Uh, and the kunai that he took out to deflect the fan disintegrates in his grasp. It just corrodes away instantaneously and the being introduces itself by saying all things turn to dust. Fear and respect me humans as I command over everything in this world. And Shirogane says I've heard about this guy F born from dust. This king of, Sukuko of Sukumogami can make anything decay. Baragon, the second Espada. No, no, wait. <laughs> Shirizuka Kayo, the ghost king of dust. And the Ayakashi demands that Matri get out of its way because only interested in Suzu. I finally found you, Ayakashi medium. You preached to us to keep peace with humans, yet in the end you sealed me away. I hate you. It won't be enough to just turn you into dust. And Matsuri is confused by what he says, but at that moment... Suzu screams in alarm as Garaku grabs her from behind. And apparently he has taken her captive in order to turn her in to the Ghost King. So what's going on? Um, I don't care. Don't <laughs> it's care. the easiest way I can say it. I don't care. Um, you just don't like I just don't really care about, like, it feels like this is the Shiragani twist, but on a less interesting level. Like, we already know he he's really come to care about these crazy kids, so it's just like, oh. Well, it seems to imply that he has a connection to the Ayakashi medium that dwells within Suzu. Uh, and so maybe his interest in painting her is actually like he wants to in some form be reunited with an old friend or something along those lines. Maybe. Uh, I do really like actually uh, Kaio, the this dust uh, Ayakashi. I think he's creepy and he's uh, imposing. So, yeah. Uh, do we want to talk at all about the panel where you're just like, well, I don't know why Suzu wore paint instead of pants today, but... <laughs> Her spats are geez, like it's, it was a little was bit being of the overall before, <laughs> but <laughs> it's like someone when said that one thing. I was gonna say it's like when uh Sui was doing We Never Learn, we always talked about like 
the vacuum like pants thing it was like somebody was like we don't have that anymore and <laughs> we were like oh, I, I got strangled was like don't worry i got you covered what about a vacuum everything <laughs> i was worried that there wasn't enough beneath skin tight clothing going on in jonah and jump oh dear uh, I, actually did, I did quite like this chapter, honestly. I thought that the uh, scene of them in the art museum was really cool. Okay. Uh, I thought that the, and I really like the the painting of the tree, and it really does when the way Susa reacts to it is actually pretty cool. I think so. All right. Well then, uh, I think we should talk about Black Clover Nick chapter, or sorry, book page two eighty, surging disaster. Well, I don't wear my glasses when I record, so sometimes when the text is really small for the chapter, I have to look up at the top to see where the te- like the number there at the top of the page, and then I forget that some series don't refer to themselves by chapter, and I had to remember it off the top of my head, and I was like, it's something related to like a book or something like that, so... You know, I figured it out. Anyway, everyone's going to die. The two devils show up. They're super powerful. They beat the shit out of fucking Jack the Ripper. Uh, we cut over. A bunch of uh, devils are escaping the uh, the 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 hat like from the castle. And everyone's like, "Oh my god!" Uh, I'm assuming these are like minor devils, essentially, because the way we've kind of known devils is they're always that like big imposing figure or whatever, but um, these are also referred to it. So, you know, got those. Uh, Mary Leona is like, oh, I guess the real fight starts now. And the big monster she was fighting yeah. got back up. Uh-oh. Anyway. Yeah, they didn't take down anyone. No, none of the villains that they beat have actually been beaten. Can yeah. you believe that we had an entire month of false finishes? Uh, so... It turns out none of them have been defeated. Zeno gets back up. Uh, Vera, Verica breaks out of her prison. Dante was never beaten at all. Uh, and the reason why is because they actually would have been beaten by those attacks. But because the first level has been opened in the gate, uh, it has allowed the devil host to unlock the full 100% power of their devil. So we see them in these 100% forms. And they all basically no-sell their attacks or break out of their prison. And it's like, uh-oh. And I love it because the first fucking thing Dante does is just fucking eviscerate Jack the Ripper. Just fucking launches him across the room and beats the shit out of him. Breaks all of his stupid blades like, fuck you, you jobber. You're not a main character. Get out of here. Yeah, fuck you. Get out of here, Kumamore. You showed off your Bankai. Now get the fuck out of here. <laughs> um... We, you know, Verica goes up and is just like, oh, I can't wait to play with you. Let's dance. That kind of crazy person stuff. And uh, Zeno just basically is just like, oh, it's so shame. It's it's sad. Actually, your victory was just a fragile, fleeting dream. Uh, we cut over Nature Boy Ric is like, shit, they're here. I can't believe we left that situation unchecked. If we don't defeat that guy, if we don't defeat Morris as soon as possible, we're fucked because it's just going to get worse. But there are these two demons there or devils there. And I don't know what they're going to do. So I have to think. And the best move is. And he stops and thinks about Asta. And he says. Plumete. Die with me please. So uh oh. I guess he's going to do something really extreme here. Uh, We cut over. There's like a break. 
It's kind of like the sky gets dark and something seems to like kind of move from it. And then we start seeing legs pour out and we get a big half two page spread, I guess, of this big creature descending from the sky and everyone's screeching. Oh, no, a demon. And the chapter finishes with Asta doing his training with. Uh, oh, fuck. What was his name? Leave Shriver. That's it. Uh, and uh, I don't know if their training's done, but it seems like it's at least uh, progressing. So it's bad times. I'm gonna. I'm wondering how many names you're going to apply to characters in Black Clover. <laughs> it's only two so, so far: Nature Boy Fair and Leave Shriver. Yeah, it's, it's gonna stay there. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> until you tell me I got a German name wrong, in which case it will continue. Somebody's like, "It's not Pumade, it's Pumaday, or some shit like that," and I'm gonna be like, "Cool." <laughs> so fucking Nature Boy Ric Flair asked Professor Plum if he can fucking <laughs> he can die with him or some shit like that. That's a fan fiction I'm gonna write now. Professor Plum X. <laughs> Rick Flair, <laughs> write that up. And it's only going to be slightly weirder than Ric Flair X Lacey Evans. Professor Plum and Nature Boy Ric Flair in the bedroom <laughs> with the candlestick. <laughs> Chapter one. Ric Flair fucks him with that candlestick until he dies. There's a mystery to be solved. <laughs> It's it's like, even... It starts off as a sexy slash pick, and then it just turns into a game of Clue mystery. <laughs> Immediately, I get bored writing it. It just turns into something else. Oh, by the way, here's a question. In the game of Clue, why do you always have to figure out what room it was in? Because, like, wouldn't the body be there? <laughs> Not if I strangle them with a rope. You're never going to know where it was at unless you found the rope still in there, you know? Yeah. The idea that you come to the detective, you're like, Chief. I figured it out. Shot him with the pistol. It was, it was, uh, it was, it was Colonel Mustard. He shot him with the pistol. They're like, yes, but what room? You're like, I, I don't know. And they're like, detective, your case is falling apart. You're off the force. <laughs> all right, boys, start all over. Let's get all the suspects back. Uh, I do like big parts of this chapter. Uh, the big two pages where the three dark kings, uh, get their true superpower forms. Uh, all the d devils surging out both times that it happens. Uh, there's a lot of cool looking stuff in this chapter. And also, mm -hmm. I do appreciate that they went to the trouble of saying you would have beaten us, except you were too late because now we can actually unlock all of our power. Now that these packs have been sealed, it is something that they've actually been working towards. So when the villain gets their power up, it feels like, okay, this was actually set up and we saw, you know, this is why they're going to be stronger now yeah. when they seemingly have been getting their asses kicked. It's just that they've been, you know, durable and have come back from all the damage that they've taken up to this point. So I like that. Uh, don't like that. There was an entire month, Focusing on all those battles because that's what Black Clover does. It just has a chapters, you know, multiple chapters in a row showing different outcomes of fights. And then it turns out that they don't really matter. You know, like before all this, when the Dark Kings showed up, we had all those lesser guys getting beaten by the members of the Black Bulls. Do you remember anything that happened in any of those fights? Because I don't. Because they we, were all meaningless. We learned how arrays work. And they've been mentioned offhand, but otherwise not again. Have they been really relevant? <laughs> like, I know... Learning array magic is, I believe, what helped Charlotte master her magic. But we didn't really see arrays in the same way. Maybe that's only like something that'll work in the anime, which, by the way, is ending. Question mark? 
There's going to be an announcement. It's an announcement. Well, it's going to end in like an episode, but there's like a special announcement at the end of the episode. So maybe the announcement is it's going to go seasonal or something. Like no one really knows. They announced them in basically the same breath. Like the anime is ending and there's going to be an announcement at the end of the last episode to basically say something. Also, we should note there was no world trigger this month. Ashihara had a bad turn for the health. So, you know, you know, we'll hopefully get some again soon. But. In the meantime, Ashihara, rest easy. Yes. Please get better. Yep. All right. Yeah. That was Black Clover. Yes. <clears throat> All right. Let's wrap it up, Nick. One Piece, chapter 1002. Going to have to get used to saying 1000 every it's, week. Huh? It's weird. It, like, I looked at the number and I was like, why does that look wrong? And I'm like, oh, right. Because <laughs> this monolith will continue to run long past the point where my body is feeding the worms in the ground. Why is there a zero in the hundred space? That seems wrong. Yeah, somebody should tell Oda he made a mistake. I think it'll actually be kind of a relief in two years when we get to chapter 1100. And then it's like, ah, finally. Yeah. yeah. So, chapter 1002, four emperors versus new generation. Oh, man, Chris, going up, go, up against the new generation. Mad what was it bad mountain rock or whatever is going to show up with his guitar and mantar is going to be there and the goon how how are they going to deal with the four emperors i don't i mean i know these characters from breast were they a faction called new generation it was just a bunch of idiots wwf in 93 or 4 rebranded itself saying this is the new generation because all of their actual stars from the 80s had decided to go to wcw and get paid better so they were like the wwf is new it's not old like all those people who went to wcw like hogan and oh uh, this this was their ruthless aggression where they're like we need to rebrand a group of superstars and we're like we got john cena and then everyone else is like what about anyone else you're like uh, Tyson Tomko was relevant for a hot minute, I think. <laughs> We've got Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels and Aldo Montoya, the Portuguese <laughs> man of war. <laughs> I think we still have the bodysuit the great Gonzalez used. He's gone, but the bodysuit's still around. All we need is some other six foot ten guy to wear it. <laughs> The fight between uh, Kaido and Big Mom and the five members of the Supernovas continues. And it's mostly just more kick-ass action that happens in this. Uh, Kaido launches out his, like, blades of wind that he uh, did before to cut off Kiku's arm. Uh, It seems to completely wreck Kid's uh, metal mecha thing. Law sees it coming and is just like, I'm leaving now, and he pops away with his transport uh, teleportation powers. Uh, but Kid's fine, because he's like, yeah, all that was just scrap metal to begin with. I'm just yeah. going to get, get it all back now. I'm yeah, fine. he's like, I magnetized shit. You can cut it up as much as you want. I literally just magnet it back together. Zoro gets the best reaction, though, because he sees it coming, the blade of wind, and he just deflects it with one of his swords, and it cuts up a rock behind him, and he just goes, just stares, looking mad afterwards. (laughs) Luffy punches the hell out of Kaido's face, and then as Kaido's flying through the air, Kid, immediately recovering, grabs his descending head between his metal hands 
and uses Slam Gibson, which is basically a pile driver to just throw his dragon head into the ground. <laughs> it's like, I love that he gave a name to a fucking attack that just fucking pile drives a dude afterwards. <laughs> Actually, I should clarify. He grabs him by the head and then slams him. So I guess technically he is actually doing a uh, a suplex or a falcon arrow or something like that. It's a little hard to tell because he's belly up at the start of the slam and then belly up at the end of the slam. So is that I guess that's a falcon arrow anyway. Wrestling. So uh, uh, Zoro tries to cut up uh, Kaido some more and he I don't know cuts his mustache or something it doesn't seem to go very well i think he's just, actually i think he's just dodging when kai tries to eat him uh then law's like i've never seen an anatomical chart of a dragon but i'd guess the heart is about here and he does something to send what looks like a jolt of electricity through kaido's heart which yeah. afterwards he uses Gamma Knife, which is a technique we have seen before, but I forget what it does because I just don't care about Law that much. <laughs> Kaido goes from one panel going, oh, to the next panel going, and over this shit! <laughs> Fuck you guys! Dickheads! <laughs> so he's like, all right, so you know how tough my defense is. It seems you're not just mindless fools relying on guts to win. And Luffy's like, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Killer tries to pierce Kaido's hide. He, like, climbs up his body with his hook swords. And then he's like, you know, these scales have been causing us trouble. So I just need to cut past them to the inside. And he does this swirling scythe attack with them. And his blades just phase through Kaido's body. I don't know what Kaido does, Chris. Well, we, we don't Killer know. Does. We don't know what Killer does. This is the first we've really seen Killer in action. Uh, I assume this is what he meant by those pulverizers or punishers. I can't remember what he called his gauntlet things before. Um, but I don't know if this is a sonic. I mean, it's called Scyther Sonic. So you'd presume that it's maybe like a sonic attack. But at the same time, I also don't know if this is like. A, like a metaphysical attack sort of like Zoro having the Ashura show up in his fight against Kaku like I don't know if it's supposed to be something like that where he's physically extending these blades but they're not real but they still like I don't exactly know what he's doing but I think that's the intriguing part we don't know what Killer does quite yet so this is something to be like ooh what is uh, Scyth, uh, Scyther Sonic or whatever also is is Scyther an actually like an actual word or just a Pokemon I feel like it's just the Pokemon Interesting. Copyright. Oh no. Oda, he's getting taken down. So Kaido's taken a few hits at this point, and finally Big Mom's like, I'm here too! And just shoots lightning right at Killer as he's on Kaido's back. And she has this really cool little panel where she's, you know, got Prometheus in one hand, her sword in the other. She's posing on Zeus as lightning surges around her. And she says, as long as you're under the open sky, there is no escape for you. It's like, that's pretty badass. Awesome. She controls everything that, that is around them. Uh, Kaido tries to eat Killer, but Luffy is up there and he kicks Kaido in the head. Kaido tries to unleash a fire breath at him, and so Zoro shouts over to, to Law, hey, shoot me up there, Trappy. And Law's just like, fuck all of you guys, stop <laughs> telling me what to do. <laughs> so 
he teleports Zoro up into the air so that he can use his flame rend a, a technique to protect Luffy. Uh, and then he Zoro starts to use the Enma blade. He's going to slash Kaido and Big Mom shouts out a warning saying that's no ordinary sword. So Zoro slashes with his sword and it cuts one of the horns of the mountain base thing off with the force of it. Uh, and Kaido's immediately like, oh man, that, that katana has the presence of Odin within it. And as Zoro's falling from the earth, he's just like, I missed damage! <laughs> so he gets struck with lightning too. Big Mom laughs, and she's like, there's nowhere to escape. God of lightning, Tenjin! And lightning surges around everywhere, striking the ground, striking Luffy. Uh, Kid is able to block with some of his scrap heaps, but then uh, the lightning kind of goes around his arms and zaps him anyway, it looks like. Uh <laughs> So everyone takes some hits from the lining, it seems. Uh, but Luffy, of course, is fine. And Big Mom's like, the lining didn't work on you. And he's like, I'm rubber. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, shit. <laughs> Guess he is. <laughs> and he claim- proclaims, you're going to pay for what you did to them. As Big Mom's kind of freaked out because, oh, one of her heavy hitters is just not going to work on this boy. But Kaido's there, and he does get to use his blast breath without interference this time, and blasts Luffy. He takes a big hit, but uh, not as big a hit as you would think. Uh, he's like, "What? My flame doesn't work either. Why not?" And Luffy says, "Guts!" Hits <laughs> <laughs> him with Kong Gatling. Then, <laughs> like, what? What the hell? And that's the chapter. This fight's awesome. Oh, it's, this, it's, this fight's so fucking dope. Like, I feel like I can call it already. Like, no, we don't need to do best fight of the year. We already know it's going to be this fucking Luffy fucking Kaido big fight up top. Uh, but it's so cool. And there's a lot of, like, cool little details that really make it interesting. Again, like, oh, this is our first chance of really seeing, like, Killer in action. And Law got to use Gamma Knife, but he doesn't really know where Kaido's heart is. So maybe it may not, maybe that'd be even stronger if he knows exactly where that is. And we see Big Mom is changing the whole way the fight works because she's summoning these, you know, lightning bolts in the skies and things like that. So, you know, it's pretty cool. Also, people pointed out that, like, a chapter earlier, Kaido was just like, ah, oh, you are not young fools who rely only on guts. And then the end of the chapter is like, be like, fuck you, guts! Boop, 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 boop. <laughs> like, fucking going after him. So, I-, I do like this fight a lot. This is such a cool chapter. Yeah. Um, I don't have much commentary to uh, offer on this because it was just really cool. And it's it's nice to see as well the five different me- members of the supernovas all fighting in very different ways, demonstrating their abilities in different ways, but all managing to sh- demonstrate how strong they are in the face of these two nearly godlike beings. They're s- still pushing them and making them nervous because they're way stronger than anticipated. So, yeah. All right. And that is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap. Uh, we, like you said before, unfortunately, we have no World Trigger to talk about. Uh, so that is going to do it. What we're, where were our favorites, though? Favorite series and MVP? Uh, my my MVP, or my character, sorry, my series of the week is One Piece. Um, and then my character of the week is Hawks. I think both of those just had like such standout kind of things that I, I, I couldn't 
consider really giving anything else the award for it. I enjoyed One Piece the most, and I thought Hawks was the coolest character. It showed, like, kind of came off the best after this week. I do want to give a little bit of, uh, you know, praise to Ayakashi Triangle and to Dr. Stone. I thought that they had pretty cool chapters in terms of, you know, doing uh, the different things that they did. But yeah, for me, there's no contest. Uh, One Piece was just too good this week. It's just too exciting and cool. And it's nice to have one of these fights in One Piece again. We're just like, yeah, it's just awesome. Yeah. Uh, And I really, really want this to just keep on going like this so it's weirdly easy to follow the action like it's probably mm-hmm. my favorite thing about oda is like i feel like i can tell exactly how characters are moving and he he does very well at having multiple factors going on in a fight never kind of making like it feels like most fights are one-on-one matches and oda is doing like a fucking like eight on eight tornado tag and i'm still just like <laughs> yeah this is fucking awesome <laughs> When everything flows together and, you know, you can follow the action, you can make things really complicated, but convey them in a way that are easy to follow and exciting if you just, yeah. Yeah. And it's that it's been that way so far. Uh, and I'm going to completely complete the echo of your naming by also saying Hawks this week. I feel like he was the one singular character this week who had a big standout moment uh and carried the chapter that he was in very well uh yeah I, it seems like we learned some about him uh not necessarily in terms of exactly just the events uh in his life but more getting a full grasp of why his personality and his viewpoints are the way that they are and uh that was appreciated and it's also reassuring to uh know that a character that was complicated but relatable is going to stick around and uh, keep on doing important stuff so yeah the audience agreed hawks was their uh, mvp as well their chapter of the week surprisingly was maku chan god of destruction so there you go every so often they come up with something a real surprise so yeah you know every so what? often our, our audience is wrong <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna say that but you know, I have to, I have to, I have to hold my words back. I am a man in the position of power, so you have to choose your yeah. words carefully. You don't want, you know, it's how when you get. When you're Mr. Beat the bank, you've got to uh, make sure that <laughs> when you're when you're throwing Brock parties every yeah. week, <laughs> you've got to make sure that uh, you make as few enemies as possible. Exactly, you, Nick. Once you get one of these, you understand the responsibility that comes with it. I'm sure you'll understand someday, although it'll be difficult. Because I am the reigning and defending Vito and the Bank champion. Also, I'm going to be too lazy to make one like that if I do win uh, in future. So <laughs> okay. I didn't get to. Sh- I didn't actually get to show you because my webcam didn't work at the time. The the, the quote unquote briefcase I was going to have. It was just my ca- my microphone case with a with a index card. <laughs> oh, oh yeah, well. <laughs> that was that was going to be what this was if I hadn't found somebody who was willing to help me make a better version. <laughs> right. Okay. That is going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap, everyone. We want to thank you for joining us. We record the show live here on twitch.tv slash Wednesday evening starting around 7.30-ish Eastern time. You can also find our old episodes on weeklymangarecap.podbean.com. And you can join us on Discord. The WMR Discord server has a wonderful community. Uh, we have 
all sorts of great discussions that take place on there. And that is also where you can find the Google Doc that is maintained by Ninja X3i, which keeps track of MVP and favorite series, all the recommendations that we are working on, including our current one, Hina Change, which we should probably talk about next week, but we'll see about that. Uh, and uh, yeah, all sorts of valuable information can be found on there. And that is also a place where you can put down your vote for MVP or series of the week. Yes. All we right. Extend special thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. Your support allows great bonus content for you guys to enjoy. To Steve Mann, our tire artist, whose artwork can be found anywhere boobs are allowed to be drawn. And to Wensley Dale Cheddar and Milo Jack Stillitz for creating the opening sequence of Weekly Manga Recap. All right. That's going to do it for Weekly Manga Recap this week. I hope uh, everybody had fun. I hope everybody enjoyed themselves. We're going we're gonna to head out of here, guys. Although, I guess, really, when you think about it, it, it is important that we kind of recognize the world we live in and how important it is to see how technologically we have gotten there. Uh, this stream would not be possible. We thank a lot of people. The one person I believe we still have yet to thank is Fireworks, because without Fireworks, there would be no Twitch, no Twitch streams, no electricity. Um, oh, yeah. You know, no communication. Whenever you, like, whenever you like cheer someone mm -hmm. on Twitch, yep. that's basically Fireworks going off. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Yep. So, you know, be thankful, guys, because without fireworks, we wouldn't be here today. We'd still be uh, fucking cave people bouncing sticks and, and, and bones off of walls and shit like that. Which they didn't have fireworks, I believe. But I'm not 100% positive on that fact, so I'm worried about staying it out loud. <laughs> <laughs> All right, that's going to do it. Bye.